0: welcome back everyone to another episode of the occasionalist matt piggle here once again uh actually flying solo this episode um just Chema's out this one for this last episode of sports november so i am just going through it oh
1: oh my god my god that's his music oh
0: is it it can't be it is it's adam chomalewski he's landed in los angeles
2: that's right, people. That is right. Adam the Flamethrower, Chema Lewski, has landed in the podcasting arena. Hello, world. Get ready, because we are going to set this episode of The Occasionalist on fire!
0: All right, everyone. Uh, well, as you can tell, uh, Chema has uh, pretty much taken over this podcast, uh, as, uh, as he said so at the top there. But uh, in case you didn't know what was going on with this particular episode... Chema and I, we are taking our sports November and we are turning it towards the realm of sports entertainment as we take on, as we enter the squared circle and take on pro wrestling. Chema, how are you doing
2: tonight, my man? Man, I am doing really good. I got to tell you that I am particularly excited about this. This is a something that I don't necessarily dabble into all that mm-hmm. often. And I got to say, I had a lot of fun um, putting the outline together and also getting the chance to experience some pro wrestling again. Cause it has been a, a, about five years or so since I actually sat down and watched it.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. This was, um, this was something that like has, it's sort of been like on my mind now for a few years, like how we could cover it. And it, like had, had, um you know, if I was still doing this podcast with like Jones or someone, Jones is someone that watches wrestling pretty regularly. So it would have been a. De- it definitely would have been a different episode with someone who was like a little bit more into it than either of us are.
1: But mm-hmm.
0: again, like I, I know that I've mentioned. I can't remember which episode. I do know we've mentioned it before. We were both like fourteen-year-old boys once upon a time. Um, right. Like we did watch wrestling. Like it was. It, it almost. It's it almost a rite of passage once you become a teenager, a teenage boy that you have to get involved a little bit too much with these characters in wrestling, and it wasn't mm-hmm. really. Before we get too far too far into the into the details here, it was really fucking interesting going back and sort of turning back the clock on my own uh, on my own maturity and just sitting down watching some wrestling. Had a very interesting time doing it.
2: Yeah, dude, I got to tell you, man. One thing I was particularly surprised about, unrelated to some of the stuff we're going to be talking about, how much like Wikipedia entries were just about pro wrestling, and oh, it wasn't. I'm not. I'm not talking about just like the characters, like even going through like the history of professional wrestling, which has its own Wikipedia page Mm -hmm. scrolling through the different categories. There was fucking literature written about this sport and stuff like some Wikipedia pages you go to. I mean, you could look at some people's Wikipedia page and the whole thing fits on like your laptop screen. I am like scrolling for like what feels like miles. There is just so much history and, and, so many cool, like, unique things, characters, personalities, all this stuff that I kind of got to reintroduce myself to, sort of. You know, I'd mm-hmm. be reading and then all of a sudden, like, you see somebody's name. It's like, oh, my God. I Yeah, Doink the Clown was a fucking thing. Like, and I remember yeah. Doink the Clown and stuff. So mm-hmm. it, this was much like our um, trip to the 80s. This was, like, a very cool kind of, like nostalgia adventure for me uh, to a younger time and man i just there's a lot of stuff that i missed but i am still very much excited to dabble into this subject today
0: i i really did get into um exploring the history of some of the um as we'll get into we're, we're going to give like a very brief history of pro wrestling because as chema said we could do a podcast on the history of pro wrestling and it would be 10 episodes three hours each it would easily easily it'd be ridiculous hmm. but like i really did get into some of the um especially the pre modern or the pre second golden era um wrestling stuff like i really did get into some of that kind of stuff some of these names that like you hear like about like a maneuver or you hear you know someone you hear like a term that sort of gets floated around now in wrestling and it's like oh it came from this guy back in like 1966 mm-hmm. or it came or it came out of this particular match in like the 1940s or something and it's just like, yeah jesus like There is, there are just encyclopedias of this kind of stuff. And a lot of the older stuff is very, very interesting before it was, and we'll get, like I said, we'll get into this a little bit more in detail before wrestling is what we think of wrestling. Now, it was a very different product prior to more modern times.
2: I can only imagine there's gotta be some really cool, interesting stuff about that from going back even to the forties. And like, I'll be honest with you, dude, like When I hear pro wrestling, I just don't even think about it going back that far. Like when I hear sports in the 40s, I usually think boxing, baseball and football without any face masks and stuff. So Mm -hmm. the fact that this particular um, sport goes back so far, and I think that's I actually think that that's fucking awesome. And in a way it it adds a little bit more like kind of weight to the sport as a whole and stuff like that, that it does not, I mean, wrestling, you know, coming all the way back from like the ancient Greece and the Olympics, mm-hmm. but like to have professional wrestling in some way, shape or form, like it's just, I don't know, like it, you're just like, you, it's like the WWE comes from something, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't mm-hmm. just like some event, something that they invented in the seventies, like and there's history here an evolution of the sport.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So let's, we're, we'll get into that. Um, but I want to start off with a lightning round question here. And it's sort of like the, I, I, the, I don't know how exactly when you sort of got like the, the quote unquote, um, the sort of like the, the same way you got the news about Santa Claus not being real. And just in case you, right. you know, just in case yeah. someone out there is unaware of that. Um, but like when you got the, the sort of like, Hey, by the way, wrestling is fake. When you heard this, when we were kids, it definitely had some like interesting connotations to it. But like, when you think about that question or that, that statement now, what do you think about that? Wrestling is fake.
2: I, I really think it's like an unfair characterization now. And, um, looking back, I guess at what that actually means. And I'm going to save some of this for a later question and stuff like that. Okay. Cause I got, I got some more to say about this, but, uh, what it is, it's just like a general term that doesn't really highlight any specifics. And I think when they say wrestling is fake, like, they're using it to cover like a lot of territory here so like of course like the matches are pre-arranged and everything like that you know like it just that seems to make sense to me because it's like you know sports entertainment and stuff like that like i understand the idea of a match and storylines and everything but like everything like everything else is real. Like, I mean, these, the athleticism is a hundred percent real. Like there's a reason like why a lot of these people are in fucking shape, you know? Mm. And like the, the um, the moves, the injuries, just all the work that goes into it. All of that stuff is like 100% real. And like, I think when this whole like wrestling is fake kind of expression got introduced to us when we were kids, I, I, you know, as a kid, I had a hard time like even processing what the hell that means. But looking back on it, I really look at it. It's almost like a, um, just like somebody decided to pick the easiest possible word and threw it into a sentence, and then that just kind of worked. It's it works itself into the zeitgeist of sports from there. You know, but it's really unfair that characterization.
0: Exactly. I, lo- I love the way you put that—an unfair characterization. I-, I thought of it as an oversimplification of yeah, something yeah. that is way more complex than just being fake. And I I think that I think that comes from um I I'm, I'm, I'm assuming like it was like your mom or dad, you know, was like, hey, you know, wrestling's fake. The, you know, it was my my parents were like, yeah, this wrestling stuff is fake. And I think it comes from at least from their era their version of wrestling being very different from mm-hmm. the re- version of wrestling that we grew up watching because I think I think I already knew that it was not real. Like that like well of course the undertaker isn't actually an undertaker he doesn't right. like live in a fucking coffin like i like i know that i'm not an idiot i might be nine but i'm not dumb um like but i think that there is like i said there's a different connotation for our parents generation of like what fake actually meant and for like us it was just like well yeah no shit like that's the the storylines and shit are fake but like i just saw the undertaker throw mankind 20 feet into a table off the top of a steel cage into a table. That wasn't faked. Um that right. that really just happened. All of the all of the working you know, the obviously the ring maneuvers and stuff, you know, there's stuff that they do to make sure obviously they're they're not completely maiming each other. I mean if two human beings did this to each other on a nightly basis, they would be they'd be dead very soon. Mm-hmm. But right. but all of the work that goes into that that sort that sort of uh, showmanship is real work. And you want to talk about uh, this is something that we don't have that I don't have anywhere here in the outline but boy you want to talk about some of the most grueling punishing looking stuff watch some of the watch some of like the behind the scenes stuff at like these wrestling academies like the WWE's academy and i think it's in Orlando or Tampa i think Orlando um, there's um, smaller camps and academies all over canada um, mm-hmm. and obviously the united states too but there is like like the heart um, of you know of like Bret Hart Owen Hart that the Hart dynasty um right. like they they've they've had a gym in calgary i think that yeah they're from calgary they've had a gym in calgary that's trained like generations of canadian wrestlers and you want to talk about like they'll tell you like yeah real wrestling was very difficult this is even harder like it mm-hmm. is physically punishing you because it, you it's not just wrestling it's performance it's staying in character it's doing stuff you've never done before and doing that all all keeping doing all that at once keeping yourself in character and keeping it together for an audience it is something that is just so fucking hard to do so, wrestling is fake. I love it. The unfair characterization and a massive oversimplification of what's actually going on.
2: Yeah. I mean, people don't think about what goes into this. Like, if you take a fall the wrong way or absorb a hit the wrong way, you could be fucking screwed, dude. Like, screwed with all kinds of injuries and stuff like that. And the way that these guys are able to take. Uh, Take the beating in some way, shape or form, stay in character, have a little bit of drama in there to keep the audience in suspense until their next move. This is something that, like not even like Tom Cruise is going to do this kind of thing. You know, this is almost like a, a completely special blend of human being that could do these kinds of things and be successful at it no less i mean you and i could go out there and get thrown around but you know the fact that um i don't think that we would last very long (laughs) and not sustain a lot of longevity like that's where the whole art and performance comes into Mm -hmm. play
0: i i like and and you bring up a really good point there like you take a fall the wrong way i mean obviously you can seriously injure yourself but also like let's just say you just take a fall not even the wrong way you just don't absorb Um, you know, like a a table smash or something the right way. It's Mm -hmm. like, and you're definitely, you're not, you're not severely injured, but you're definitely hurt. You, okay, great. Keep it together. We still have to wrestle for five more minutes, but you still have to do this. You still have to, like, like I I, I would imagine like the, like if you and I just went out there and like tried to put on a show, the first time that you accidentally hit me or I accidentally hit you, that's when the, the whole show would drop right then and there. It would just stop. And yeah, these these men and women get, you can tell every now and then they get fucking clocked (laughs) and they, and it's like, Oh shit. Okay. Okay. Keep it together. Got to keep going.
2: We have a show. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. You're able, there's definitely evidence of that when, when you're watching and stuff like that, somebody clearly didn't expect a hit or something like that to, to get them the way that it did and stuff. And you and I out there, like whether it's you, Delivering a strike and me me being the absorber here, if those aren't done like 100% like perfect and everything, it's going to be like, you know, it could be you walking around the stage like with a hand where you're holding your hand like, oh, my God, I just I'm so injured off Chema's iron physique. And then there's me just like, you know, doing the same thing, just like walking around trying to regain consciousness before we would, you know, resume the match and stuff. It would look very, it would look very ugly.
0: exactly. Exactly. Alright, so we'll get into more of that, but just real quickly here we'll do a we will do a sort of brief history of pro wrestling for us and for other uh, other people out there who maybe aren't as into it um, as some other people. So like Chemma, like um like you said, like it, it it's amazing like how far back this goes. And you can really trace it back, we'll call it the early era, and you can trace this back all the way to the Civil War, the eighteen sixties. Um and really at that point in time it was like more of a carnival show, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it is very it is recognizable as wrestling but like it's kind of just like two guys in a tent rolling around with each other and right it's it's you know like there's i'm sure there's um there's like a a, you know a ring construction but not like how we would think of it as being a, a ring um how you think about it now um but i mean even back then a lot of the terminology and we'll cover some terms here too a little bit a lot of the terminology actually comes from like the from this era from you know this it's actually a very long period of time but Um, a lot of this terminology comes from like the pre 1900s that they still use it today. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, wrestling has its roots in the circus and obviously there, there are even aspects from like the performance, um, and like the, the sort of production of it that are still alive from like the circus days. You think about like the, um, you know, wrestlers that have managers, right? That goes all the way back to the circus when you had like certain like kind of carnival barker types that would like Mm -hmm. psych up the psych up the crowd and you know talk about like the greatness of certain wrestlers or whatever that never went away um fights in this era what i which this is what i found very interesting fights in this era were much more real um they definitely were like wrestling each other obviously they weren't like doing flying moonsaults off the of top ropes and stuff but like they were actually for the most part fighting each other but it was a lot of them were still staged however not for entertainment purposes can you guess for what purpose
2: for like, um, like almost like a, like bad, like who's the biggest badass where you're going to go to war type thing. Like if you win wrestling, you could be a soldier type situation.
0: Incorrect. For
2: gambling. Gambling, of course. Yeah. Gambling. (laughs) So
0: so it was, so this idea of having like a very orchestrated match while like, you know, you would still sort of fight the idea of having an orchestrated match, of course, comes from gambling. Um, why not? Right. If, if money's involved, then that's going to dictate exactly how things go. And that's, um, I don't know. I guess that's like the story of all sports, isn't it? But pretty um, much,
2: yeah, pretty much. <laughs>
0: so, I mean, wrestling through this time period, all the way up really, through like the 1920s, um, and you know, basically up until like um, you know, just pre World War, uh, you know, pre World War Two, um, wrestling is basically almost as popular as baseball. Um, and in fact, like this is the time period we get our first um, wrestling, a uh, wrestling association or wrestling promotion, uh, National Wrestling Alliance (NWA), which actually persisted in some shape or form until recently. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's about 100, you know, the NWA was about 140, 150 years old or so. Um, Obviously, it's not continuous, you know, different different people buying it, you know, different people just acquiring the name, et cetera, et cetera. But in some way, shape, or form, the National Wrestling Alliance has existed since like the 1870s or 1880s, whatever it was. Um, TV era, this is the first golden age. This is the 1940s to the 1970s. Um, this is when wrestling first hits the airwaves, first in Schenectady, Schenectady New York, on uh, I think it's WRGB. I think is the is the station, and then out there by you in Los Angeles, KTLA has a regular show that ends up getting picked up, <clears throat> that ends up getting picked up weekly by uh, other affiliates um, across across the United States. So this is obviously is our first move towards modern wrestling, right? Like it's right. going to be on TV, and rest, the the way the wrestling gets set up itself is much more TV friendly than like two bearded fat men rolling around in a tent.
1: <laughs> right. <coughs> um,
0: yeah. So this is this period. You have some, you have some interesting sort of markers here. You have, um, I'm sure you've heard of this wrestler, but maybe not aren't familiar. I I know the name and I'm not terribly familiar with them and I'm you know, doing this. is really healthier but, uh, have you heard, have you ever heard the name gorgeous George?
2: oh I've heard that name yeah. before yeah definitely yeah so yeah.
0: gorgeous George he's he's like one of our first like famous heels or bad guys and we'll cover that term here in a little bit he breaks down the at this point in time um every bad guy in wrestling was an ethnic terror um so like you had Nazis Arabs um really stereotypical sort of like whoever the villain in America was at that point in time was gonna be your was gonna be your bad guy in wrestling and right. it was going to be a really terrible ethnic stereotype, which it's hard to say that they've ever really ditched that in wrestling, but they have certainly gotten better. Um, and I can't imagine how much worse it was like in the 1940s.
1: Oh, but, yeah.
0: <laughs> but Gorgeous George is your first bad guy that isn't an ethnic terror. First, I should say first star bad guy that isn't an ethnic terror. He's the one that kind of introduces this idea of like real extreme narcissism. And then like that... That sort of, um, that was so success- successful that like that sort of seed, um, now you see it in every single heel. Every single bad guy in wrestling has at least like a small bit of Gorgeous George in him. Every single,
2: mm-hmm. one. yeah. From what I have seen, um, leading up to this episode, I don't know if anybody is not narcissistic in some way, shape, or form th- that's a heel. <laughs>
0: was, and you know what? And you can even extend that to the good guys too, at least a little bit.
2: Oh yeah. I can, you yeah. know, I could definitely see a little bit of that in the good guys. Yeah. But it's like the, the heels are a little more flashy mm. uh, consistently in their narcissism. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So, <clears throat> so in this time period, you get rapid growth, but that's like a good thing, but also a bad thing for wrestling. Um, because you have more and more people, you have more and more people that want to become quote unquote wrestlers, not because they're, and it's always people without like wrestling ability. Um, not because they want to become wrestling stars. They want to become TV stars because wrestling's on TV and boy, does this not sound a lot like influencers who want to become famous without being famous for anything in particular. It's the same thing. Just we're doing the same thing now, just like 50, 60 years later. Of course. All right. And so that, that's, that's the end of it's a very brief, but that's the, the, the first golden age, the TV era from the 1940s to the 1970s. We get to the second golden age, which is what Chem and I and a lot of people our age grew up on and where wrestling f- just fucking explodes. Um, the second golden age is from the 1980s all the way up through like essentially 2000, 2001-ish. Um, this is where wrestling completely goes mainstream. Uh, Vince McMahon and the WWF, at that time the WWF, um, they really they really changed a lot by leaning into the idea of this being a production. And mm-hmm. not shying away from the idea of it being, the idea of it being orchestrated or fake, right? Like, right. Never once do they like say that this is real life necessarily. It is the way Vince McMahon and for all of Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon's many many failings, um, and they are many. Um, you can't you can't argue that he wasn't a really shrewd businessman, and he wasn't he didn't see the future of what this sport could be because my goodness, he built it into a juggernaut and he just realized like, well, why, why, why do we want to pretend like this is real? Let's let's do what it is. It's a TV show. Let's Mm -hmm. make it the best TV show we can make it. And that's what they did. Um, so this is when you get more of the wild characters, the more of the experimental stuff. Um, what really does help is that McMahon and the WWF have a complete monopoly on televised wrestling. There is nothing else for years, uh, to compete with them. And mm-hmm. you get the, and then you get the pinnacle of what, what a lot of people tell you the pinnacle of wrestling is, WrestleMania three in Detroit, um, really symbolic too, really symbolic as well. You got Hulk Hogan, one of the new age wrestlers, um, of this era, uh, body slamming and pinning Andre the Giant, who is definitely one of the people that you know held over from like the sixties and seventies. Um, so it's like the new guard, you know, the new guard, uh, or I should say the old guard getting out of the way for the new guard and ushering the ushering in the new era of modern wrestling. Um, and then it takes a while before we get to the Monday Night Wars. We have a question on that here in a little bit, where like the really unprecedented cable ratings for wrestling start between WWF's um, the Monday Night Raw and WCW's Monday Nitro. And WCW really hurt the WWF badly at this point in time. They really took a lot of talent from the WWF. I mean, that's where you get that's when Hulk Hogan becomes Hollywood Hogan and becomes a bad guy um mm-hmm. you have uh, nwo gets formed uh it, it's you know eric bischoff and some other guys come to through it you know come to come to rise bill goldberg goldberg is one of the big draws in the wcw they had some serious talent and it you know it it almost i don't it, not like it almost crushed the wwf but man it really did a number on, on them and then you also have like the formation of some other wrestling leagues we'll actually talk about this one in particular ecw becomes like a viable alternative to sort of the mainstream ones um, but that's the second golden age, and then we're in the modern era now. WWF survives. most of the most of the other promotions are under the WWF umbrella at this point in time. Um, and this is where like it really becomes where the wrestling, they're even beyond TV stars. like they're multimedia stars now. They're movie stars, they're TV stars. Um, and sort of the the outlandish characters, especially more recently, the outlandish characters still exist, but like the the edges start to get rounded off of them. Right? Mm-hmm. Because this is now more this is much more professional than it was before. So we need to make more wrestlers that are four quadrant marketable wrestlers. Like right. they, they gotta go make money, so we can't have you can't have like psychopaths like who cut themselves <laughs> in the middle of the ring be like front and center. And that's and we'll get to that as, as stuff that we notice, but like I can tell you that's something I would stood out right away. How much more normal the wwe stars are now than they were in previous generations
2: yeah oh i completely understand what you're saying here yes when it comes to marketability blood and guts and stuff like that all over the place um on a show that kids are going to be watching not necessarily the a right. uh, good decision
0: right exactly so that's that's the brief history of pro wrestling um took a little longer than i thought but believe me like i said this, this could be this could be its own its own very long podcast and I'm sure I'm sure there are... I, I'm actually considering how much care goes into the Wikipedia articles and how much care goes into the presentation of wrestling on TV. I bet the WWE has some great podcasts on their wrestling. I bet they have some really good ones.
2: Oh, I could do... With this being as much of a juggernaut as it is, you are probably looking at great podcasts from all different kinds of angles, whether it's coming from former wrestlers people maybe that are currently involved in the business i mean there's like a whole mythology to this thing that i don't think a lot of people are really truly aware of and Mm -hmm. if you're out there trying to broaden your horizons or maybe even to get a little bit more knowledge about the subject some of these podcasts would be a really good alternative
0: yeah absolutely absolutely all right so let's just real quickly here um get into get a little bit of wrestling parlance some of the terminology that they used um so we'll just start off with some of the um, <clears throat> some of the terms to describe actual wrestlers. So we got jobber, carpenter, enhancement talent, and my favorite, vanilla midget. Um, so a jobber, Chum, You know what a jobber is?
2: Yeah, I looked up all of these. Oh, books. okay, this you did. A, yeah, go ahead yeah and throw, I, throw I, a jobber oh, for me. This is a guy who routinely loses matches.
0: Yep. This is this is a guy. You you definitely still see these people. Um, but I mean, even then they, they have more personality than they, than they used to, but you're going to see this person is out there just to get beat up. Um, they don't really have much of a backstory or there's no sayings for them. There's no, there's no real flair to them. You can tell when one comes out on stage or out on, under the, out under the ring, you can exactly tell what a jobber's out there, just a regular person. Um, mm-hmm. A step up from that is a carpenter. Someone who's a little bit who's definitely skilled at the craft of wrestling, and um, you can also enhancement talent gets pulled in here too a little bit, but there's a slight slight difference. Um, carpenters are usually in place as sort of like the litmus test for like for an up and coming wrestler, someone that they think is going to be a star. So, yeah, you would take like you know, like young, young back with a rock before he was actually even the rock, he came in as Rocky Maivia. Um, you know, in his in his like, I want to, I can't remember who his um carpenter was it's someone of note like it's a name that you would know i just can't remember off the top of my head um but like it's it's like that guy who is just like all right i'm gonna you know we're gonna go through our first this is gonna be our first match together Uh, it's almost like a dance i'm gonna lead you're gonna follow and then when you have the chance to sort of do your thing do your thing and that's what the carpenter is there for right just to to make sure to usher the talent in and make sure that it gets a good chance to uh to kind of we get the talent a chance to show, like if it really is talent or if it's not talent, basically.
2: Yeah, and when you Google the Rock, um, the Rock's carpenter, you get a lot of stuff about how John Carpenter has some negative words about the Rock's Big Trouble in Little China <laughs> in her interview.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I figured that probably would stuff like that would kind of come up, but there, it's it's like if you basically if you if we had the I don't want to do it right now. if We look up his like his first, not necessarily his first match, but it's like first match on like Monday Night Raw. Or his first match, like in a, you know what I mean, like in an event, that's mm-hmm. who his carp, you know, he would. That's essentially who his carpenter would be. And then you have enhancement talent, which is is kind of similar to a carpenter, but a lot of times they themselves are sort of a step above that. Like they are, maybe they were fading talent or people that never quite made it, but they they along with another sort of profile, uh, higher profile wrestler, um, can enhance the match itself. So they're called enhancement talent. Like they can, the sum essentially is greater than the parts basically.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: And then did you, uh, did, so you looked up vanilla midget? Cause I love this one. It's very funny.
2: Yes. Yeah, so this is a term that is coined by Kevin Nash as a guy who is real good, but too small or boring to succeed on a large stage. <laughs> <Exactly>.
0: <laughs> there's, there is this thing and, and I'll, I'll note this as we go on. There is this thing about like some of these smaller guys. Um, and there's a lot of like, I shouldn't say smaller. I should say normal size people that wrestle. And it's not that often that one of them really cuts through as a superstar, right? Mm -hmm. Like think about all, when you really think about all the big time named superstars in the past 30 to 40 years, how many of them are five foot nine, 170 pounds?
2: Yeah. You don't see a lot of that. A lot of these dudes are fucking big ass dudes, like big dudes.
0: Yeah. I mean, beyond, well, well beyond normal size parameters they're huge people, so yeah so vanilla midget it's a funny term kevin nash himself is like seven foot one um huge man so it does there is some truth to that but i think you could also go the other direction if you're like real small like someone like a ray mysterio um like you could go that direction too and be like Mm -hmm. so small that like it's almost kind of funny to watch you like go out and fight. not funny but it's like it's interesting to see like how um like ray mysterio has been a wrestler for like 30 years and like he's one of the, I have to imagine he's one of the shortest WWF champions of all time. He's like five foot six, so. But like he's such a good wrestler. It's interesting to see someone that small wrestle that well.
2: Yeah, no, I completely got what you're saying. He was actually, I got to see him do a match on one of the Raws that I watched.
0: Oh, nice, very nice. All right, so and then just a couple of a couple of terms here in, in terms of like the performance, um, KFab or KFabe, and I'm never really 100 percent sure that's pronounced. It's the idea of its of the of the match itself like we know that it's fake but we're going to go through the steps as though it's real it's it is performance basically is what the whole idea behind wrestling is right that's mm-hmm. a um uh, a work tell me you know what a work is
2: uh, any pre-scripted event
0: exactly anything that's going to plan is a is a work you're in the you're it's working so it's called a work uh, right a shoot is then the exact opposite stuff that um stuff that happens outside of of the parameters of what's supposed to happen and sometimes it's totally fine sometimes a shoot is someone just has a you know like when we have like the two wrestlers microphones in hand facing off in the middle of the ring you know just talking to each other sometimes it's just a one-liner someone throws out and you know yeah you and you can kind of tell when it's not on script because like the the person who receives it's kind of like oh shit that was a good dig um gotta gotta come back here really quickly so it's anything that happens outside of the parameters Generally speaking, though, it's someone who, like, you, you land a punch the wrong way, someone falls the wrong way, that's usually a shoot. And then something, like, that I didn't I didn't see once, and I have a feeling that, like, they don't do this anymore, uh, blading. Used to happen all the time. Um, wrestlers used to hide, like, a little razor blade or um, sometimes, like, a safety pin or something, like, in, like, the, their boot or, like, in their, um, you know, if they're wearing, like, uh, wrist wraps or something like that. To after they get hit in the head with something, they cut their foreheads open because their foreheads, your forehead bleeds a lot, or your chest, your chest bleeds a lot too. To sort of Mm -hmm. give the appearance that they're just like been maimed by like a chair, or they've been maimed by going through a table or something. Um, At least, at least in in the recent times that I've watched wrestling, I don't think they do any blading anymore.
2: Yeah, I, I didn't see any of that in the Raw or SmackDown that I watched. And I keep going back to this time where like CBS made an attempt to put MMA on CBS, like watching MMA literally on Channel 19. And the first match they had was a fucking like it was a beatdown, Right. Mm-hmm. And like, long story short, is MMA on CBS didn't last much longer after yep. that. <laughs> yep,
0: Not su- not shocking. Not shocking at all. And it, like you said, if you want to sell this to like kids and stuff, you probably can't have probably can't have people walking around with like just blood gushing all over their bodies. Um, but that was that was definitely something that we saw quite a bit when we were when
2: we were growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's not happening today.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it, we'll finish out here with like some terms that I think even people, even probably non wrestling fans, kind of know, but maybe didn't know it came from wrestling. Um, so you have heel, which is a bad guy uh face or a lot of times baby face good guy and then you have the turn um it could be a heel turn or a face turn heel turn is when some turns when someone switches allegiances um so you could have a heel turn someone becomes a bad guy like uh hulk hogan going to wcw to become hollywood hogan maybe the most one of the most famous heel turns or you have a face turn when a bad guy becomes a good guy um mm-hmm. that's it i can't think of a really super famous face turn
2: yeah i'm struggling to think of but, one either like the 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 heel turn seems to be more of the thing that gets the press and is oh, more yes. the interesting story yeah like
0: like um like hollywood hogan to, or hulk hogan and hollywood hogan's probably the most famous for us um probably second would be um oh god Shawn michaels kicking who the fuck did he kick it, it was his tag t- it was his tag team party partner um
2: i'll look it up right now
0: yeah on it was on it was on the barber shop um marty jennetti he uh he gave marty jennetti a super kick at, at the barber in the barber shop produced the barber's beefcakes little like uh segment on like the back and wrestling used to be on saturdays and um he gave a gave him a super kick and that was like Shawn michaels heel turn was that moment
2: mm-hmm. yeah i got you yeah those are those are really cool like it's just i think it's more dramatic when the good guy turns bad than the bad guy turning good
0: yeah and and usually at least in in my memory like when you do have a face turn it's usually like the bad guy only becomes a good guy for like a couple of months like it's basically like a like one or two pay-per-views worth of him being a good guy
2: yeah i gotcha just enough to sell that storyline and then once the storyline is sold go back to normal
0: yep exactly All right. So there you go. Some, some wrestling parlance there for you. And like I said, there's so many more we could get into, but those are sort of like your, definitely your, your high profile ones. Um, but let's get, let's get into it. Let's talk about ourselves, wrestling with ourselves here. Um, how would you, how would you describe your relationship with wrestling from your formative years to now?
2: Okay. So I would, I guess I would say it's more of a, um, descending relationship as I started off Really into it when I was younger. I mean, like, I had the toys, like, the personalities I thought were awesome. I mean, just as a kid, you don't really get to see these big fucking dudes like doing this kind of athleticism. And one key part of it for me like which was you know like we've talked about this before where these guys weren't in like pads in the helmet so you could actually like see these people you could see their face Mm -hmm. they had microphone time so you're able to like develop a relationship with them and stuff which i thought as a kid like this was really really fucking cool then this idea of wrestling being fake comes along and i got i had gotten wind of this like really early on, like I would probably like early nineties or so. This was the wrestling is fake sentence was said to me. However, it was not explained anything beyond that, you know, and my dad and, and anybody else I was talking to were not really able to provide a better definition beyond wrestling is fake and stuff, or oh hey, all the matches are fixed or whatever, you know? So this was like a real brain breaker for me. (laughs) This really, really, really was. And for the longest time, like I I really couldn't wrap my head around like the fake thing and stuff. Because like, hey, you wrestling's fake, but you're right. Like I just saw a guy get thrown into the table or so and so just got his head slammed into a post. Like what's so fake about that? So I went through this, like, just, I don't know, man, almost like this conflict where I just couldn't really quite figure it out. And throughout the course of my life, like there've been like little, like, you know, hills and valleys of me being into it and me being not as into it and stuff. And then I would say like, and this kind of lasted through like high school, then right around the time that I got into college was when I really was not like familiar with it at all. And I mean, things just kind of seem to blow up in so many different directions. There seemed to be more events. There seemed to be more like personalities, newer people like that I hadn't heard of and stuff. So I had fallen out of it um, when I was in my twenties. And then in the course of the last like five years, um, when Jess and I first started going out, there was this other couple that we were still friends with, and um, the the guy is just like, you know, hey, we're going to this wrestling thing, like maybe you should come along. And I went to like an independent wrestling venue that was held in a church in Lorraine, mm. and I thought it was fun. We watched uh, I watched uh, the the what did the Royal Rumble like with these uh, with this couple like mm. um, a couple weeks later and everything. So it's something that like I still appreciate and I still get some entertainment value out of it. I'm just not as into it as I was when I was a kid. And I'm not like, this is not like a shitting on the sport thing. I'm not like, Oh God, this is fake. It's not that it's just that I'm just not that into it. I can acknowledge everything that's real about it. And there are things in there that I will never be able to do. And, a lot of things that a lot of people would never be able to do in terms of athleticism and performance. But for some reason, just during that time in my like twenties, when I wasn't as into it, that was kind of like, almost like a knife in the cake as far as me being the, um, a big, super wrestling fan.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I have a very similar, um, sort of like, like you said, like a descend, like a descending relationship, like like a descending trajectory the same way where Mm -hmm. like I was a huge wrestling nut, during that attitude era, especially like the Monday Night Wars era, like I was very, very into it. And it did carry pretty much all throughout high school for the most part because I, cause like, that's, that's like about the same, that's about the time when um, obviously the Monday Night Wars were just, had just about like wrapped up at that point. And mm-hmm. then we were getting into The Rock, Steve Austin. Um, yeah. Mankind, um, Kane and the Undertaker their rival- rivalry was like you know going through the roof, so like there, were, it, so like I still had like people to hold on to, entertainers to hold on to that were really awesome at that point in time, even through high school, and then like I think it fell off in college, literally because I did not watch that much TV in college, like altogether, like yeah, I, I really didn't. Um, it, in fact, like their my freshman year in, in our <clears throat> in our dorm room, my uh, my roommate Mike and I, uh, he was just someone that, I, that we got you know we just got matched up together. Um, we didn't even have a TV for like the first two months we lived together, like, like that was it. Like, yeah, oh yeah, like there was no TV. We had we had a radio, and then like it. Or I'm sorry, it was the first month, and then like I I went home because I was like I'm fairly certain I have an extra TV at my house. I'll get it. I'll bring it or whatever. So like we didn't even have a TV for the first month, and then like we weren't really watching. He wasn't he wasn't a wrestling fan himself, so we weren't really like watching it. And like I had other stuff to do. Um, so I just like fell off in college in my later college years. I would go back to the bar, like a couple of the bars would have the pay-per-view events and obviously I'd yeah. have Monday night, Raw and, and Smackdown. And, um, pro- at that point in time, I think, I think at that point in time, some of the other independent ones had their, had their own shows too, but like they would have like the wrestling, the, the regular daily wrestling events. And then they had the pay-per-views as well. So I'd go to some of those. Um, or like I'd go to do people's houses who were, who were having the, pay- the pay-per-view events. But like once I moved back to once I moved back to Cleveland, I like I dropped off again because I just didn't have people that would, I didn't have people that would want to like watch or go. I you know and at this point in time it kind of, you know the Rock was essentially out. Well he would not essentially he was out of the WWE at that point. Um some of the older some of the people that like we were we were following were now like you know pushing like fifty, and weren't really um. You know, they were still in wrestling, but, you know, once these guys start to hit, like, 45, 50, they wrestle so infrequently, which makes sense. It's not something you can continuously do over and over. It's it's harder your body when you're 25, let alone 45. Um, So, like, a lot of the people that, like, you know, that I was into anyway were wrestling fairly infrequently. Um, And so I just, like, I didn't feel like I had that reason to grasp onto it. But I would, like, and I still would. Like, if someone... If someone were to ask me tomorrow, like, hey, um, Thanksgiving weekend, Saturday, there's like a house show over in Sugar and Falls. You want to go see some people wrestle in a fucking high school gymnasium? I'd probably go.
1: (laughs) Like, It sounds like
0: something fun and different to do. I definitely would go. I just, it's not something that I feel like I have to, there's a point in time in my life where I'm like, I got to watch Raw. I got to watch SmackDown. I got to see who's getting the pay-per-view this month so we can, you know, we'll go over to their house and like sit down and do it together that that is gone out of my brain but yeah. but if someone like but like if you had you um in the, in the same way i was like hey we're gonna do wrestling this month had you done it i would have been like all right i'm ready this is gonna be fun like i haven't revisited in a while and i kind of I- i'll do it. it it's gonna be a fun experience to kind of jump back into it so that's that's where i am with wrestling i don't not 100 sure that i'd ever become a wrestling like a hardcore wrestling fan again but like if someone was like hey uh I don't know. Just like watching Monday Night Raw over the house. You want to come over? All right.
2: Let's yeah. go. I'll oh. go watch
0: Monday Night Raw. Few drinks of beers. Cool.
2: Yeah. No. Totally, dude. I get what you're saying. Quick question: Have you ever gone to a, a large scale WWE event like something at the at the Q or maybe another arena around here?
0: No. No. Um, the only the only thing I've done where was uh, at at Bowling Green they had a house show um, at the university before they um, before they were in Toledo for. They're recording. What the hell were they recording? There used to be a Saturday like wrap-up show or something. They were recording. It was something that had cameras because they were they were wrestling in one of the um, they're wrestling in an arena in Toledo. So, okay, it was something that actually had like camera. You know what I mean? Like it. Yeah. There yeah. was there was two separate things happening that weekend, and we had like the Friday night house show, or maybe it was backwards. Maybe it was Friday night SmackDown was in Toledo. Yes, I had it backwards. Friday Night SmackDown was in Toledo. Then they had a house 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 show Saturday in Bowling Green. Um, went to that. My roommate actually worked the um, was able to like work the locker room for oh, all the dudes. Nice. And mm-hmm. like it's it's so funny because like he's like yeah they're just I mean it's funny because they're all like these and like the Undertaker is like one of the people was like the the head person was like the star person of the of the house show. And he's like it's just it's so funny because these dudes are so fucking gigantic. And they're just sort of, and they're all, like, generally sort of in costume. And they're all just, like, in the locker room, like, playing cards, shooting the shit, talking to each other. And then, like, once it's, like, go time, it's, like, they flip a switch and, you know, the Undertaker becomes the Undertaker. Like, Mm -hmm. as soon as he walks out of that locker room, it's, like, switch is flipped, he's in character, he's ready to go. He said, He's like, dude, it's, it's really fucking cool.
2: I can I can believe that I, I definitely can believe that they had that ability to just flip the switch like that. And it's cool it's cool that you've gotten to get to one of these events. I've never seen the like the big WWE events. I've seen maybe one or two like smaller scale independent wrestling shows throughout the course of my life. And you know it's it's definitely not as flashy as the WWE, but the smaller shows still a good time. Yeah. And like one thing that I. Found just to put this out there now because we don't really have any other place to put it in the outline. I have never seen um, performers to fan relationships the way that I have seen in like a smaller wrestling circuit. I mean, these are guys that like it'll be a guy who's got a, a homemade body armor thing or a homemade mask. Like you could actually like see like the texture of the duct tape underneath the paint and everything. And he's out there having conversations with with kids and like their parents and stuff like that like signing autographs taking photos and stuff and and it's you know it's just just some guy you know what i just like a a local unknown wrestler and um it, it wasn't just one it was a whole bunch of them and they really did a great job um to get to know the fans and be very personable with the fans which um you just don't really see that in a lot of sports it's not like people will sign stuff but these guys were like really talking to people asking questions like it was it was kind of cool it was really cool to see that um you know that kind of relationship between the performers and the fans
0: yeah they one one of the things that wrestling does better than any sport is is even if even at like the the professional wwe level is making sure that like the the fan to performer relationship is like is like paramount to them Mm -hmm. i mean it is really important to have um to have that sort of to that like even like even the bad guys are like will show up sign autographs talk to people get in character and do you know what i mean like even the the villains unless it's like part of a storyline or something where they're not supposed to talk to people but that like that's that's totally different like the the wwe and and all the other wrestling they're wrestling in general they're very very good at maintaining that fan that fan performer fan athlete connection. that like a lot of not only do you not get in a lot of sports there's a lot of individual athletes that are just like have no problem blowing off even like even like waving to someone who is like waving to them you know what i mean like right whereas like (laughs) i guarantee you if i guarantee you if um like seth rollins were to walk past some people who were like you know who were like i don't know wanted an autograph or a picture and it wasn't an inconvenience to them if he walked past them i have a feeling that like someone else be it like an a you know like someone you know in the in the i forgot where they're headquartered uh i think in connecticut someone in the head office in connecticut or probably another wrestler would be like dude go back there and sign that autograph go back there and take that picture like that's yeah like that's what we have like not what we have to do that's like i mean they have to do it but also like it does seem like they enjoy that more so than other athletes
2: yeah, I mean, you, as a as a wrestler, that's you like de- developing your brand and stuff. And I mean, I I can't remember what the numbers are, and I'm sure they've uh, changed since the last time I looked. But like, these dudes aren't getting paid like ridiculous amounts of money. Like the the lowest paid player in the NFL might be a middle tier pay bracket in the uh, in like a wrestling federation and is, stuff yeah. like that. So like the, you know if you're like any of these wrestlers and you take that. And if you don't take that opportunity, you're really missing an opportunity to, to, to build your brand. And it may, it may just be one person in your eyes, but you know, it's stuff like that could like trickle down and everything like that. And it could affect your favorability in some stupid way, shape or form. So it's always good to build your brand when you can. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> Oh, and Real quickly here. Um, well, you know what? Take that back. Well, I, I can answer this question. So, what are what are some of the standout wrestling
1: memories from your youth?
2: Okay, so I have two of them that are particularly stand out to me. Um, the first one is just these toys that came out when I was younger. The, even the toys back then mm. were awesome. They were a lot cooler than like your standard Ninja Turtle action figure and stuff. Like you actually had and like a, a um, WWF action figure guy that arms could bend and everything like that. And he, they actually looked sort of like the people. So they put a lot of time and effort into the merchandising and they even had the, um, the ring that they all fight in. So that was, that was just mm-hmm. really awesome to have mm-hmm. the, the toys and the ring. Then as far as like um, matches go, The nineteen ninety-four SummerSlam where Brett and Owen Hart did the Steel Cage match, that that was the first time I had ever seen a steel cage match. And like I guess may even be like one of the first times that I was exposed to such a cool ass gimmick in in like a wrestling arena. And I thought the steel cage match was fucking awesome. Like just such a really cool and unique concept and something that adds uh, not only um Not only like a lot of weight to the match itself, but it's one of the only like wrestling situations where you get out of something, you win, you get to the top, get out of the cage, you win. It doesn't rely on like the various counts and stuff. And like it's like I have no problem with like a couple of counts throughout the course of a match. But there are just some times where you may be getting five or six, like two counts. And it's just like, all right, like, come on, let's just, you know, it just yeah. doesn't ever, yeah. it doesn't, it's not like a clear objective. Whereas the steel cage match is one of the most, like, this is how you win in a clear definitive kind of explained way.
0: Yes. Yes, exactly. That's a, one, of the, one of the most famous um, steel cage matches of all time. This when um, Owen Hart uh, finally became heel and really mm-hmm. kind of like came into his own at that point in time. Um, and then they would, and then like the steel, I think that's when the, the WWF discovered that like, man, this, people love the steel cage match because that became like a central, um, not in every single pay-per-view, but like probably three times a year, there was a, some kind of steel cage match. And I like you had, so you had the, you had, oh, you had the Hart brothers. And then a couple years later, you have maybe the most famous one undertaker and mankind, where you get the you get the soundbite from Jr. Where the Undertaker literally throws mankind off the top of the steel cage through the announce table, and it, it is like I, I how how mankind how McFoley how he survived that without not and I shouldn't say survived it how he got back up and continued that fight that match after that is astonishing, and you get you get the great call from Jim Ross where it's like. Where it's it's the my God my, or, uh, I swear my I swear I swear to God I swear in my grave that um, mankind has just been broken in half or whatever the whatever the sound but I got I should probably look this I should look this up before I brought this up but like it is like one of the most famous soundbites in the history of WWE WWF and I really think that Jim Ross was like as good of a performer as Jim Ross is and that's something that gets that gets kind of underrated in all this the announcer's ability to sell what's going on too um, yeah. I think Jim Ross was like legitimately like, holy shit! I think he's actually dead. Like like this this fall looked really really bad. So then you had so you had that so you had that 1996 as Hell in a Cell in 1996, and then the following year you had Hell in a Cell, Undertaker and Shawn Michaels in a pretty not as epic as the previous one, but like probably if you were to, to me if you were to rank them, it's it's the Undertaker, Mankind. Hart brothers and then Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, like in your in your steel cage matches. So like mm-hmm. the the WWF found something there in the mid nineties. Or like, yeah, people like this because it's yeah. one, it's insane. But two, you're right. Like it's sort of like this is the objective: get out, and that's it. We don't have to worry about counts,
2: submissions, nothing else. Just get out of the damn cage. Yeah. And like the way that the cage just drops onto the ring and stuff. Like it's really That's fucking awesome. co- cool That's piece awesome. of performance stuff right there. Yep. I mean, it really is, you know? So, I mean, there, I don't know what it is. There's just something about like, Hey, uh, people love insert whatever here. This is just one of those things. People love steel cage matches.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep. It's, they are pretty awesome. So i okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll start with a couple of good things, um, before I get to something terrible um in terms of my new <laughs> memories um so good thing like one of my favorite things is actually not even from like the wrestling matches themselves but like i used to like religiously play the video games the WWE oh, video yeah. games i, I think mm-hmm. i think i think you were over at my house or you were, or we were you were with me like over at uh, kimbo's house and various nights where we played the WWF video games like they were fucking awesome they were they yeah. were amongst my favorite video games of all time
2: they got better too as um, the graphics and technology improved and stuff. I mean, like I, I think it might have been like when PlayStation and Xbox finally got to like WWF games. It was like wow, like yeah, they, they came a long way since we yes. were younger. Yes,
0: they were they were so much fun though. Like I, I'll always I, I will cherish those memories playing those video games with uh, with you and all of our other friends. Um, I I remember watching um, ECW on my shitty black and white thirteen inch TV in my bedroom. Um, literally when I had to adjust like the, the rabbit ears to try to get yeah. the, try to get the public access signal. Uh, but that was like my, like, that was like my, I think they were, I think they were a Thursday night show. And they, that was like my Thursday night ritual is watching, uh, watching ECW in my room. And then, um, this is, this is a little bit later on, like more like high school age where I really got to appreciate this. So I used to, um, I used to work out at world gym in Macedonia right by the high school. And yeah. Yeah. For a long time, that was one of only two gyms in the area that were, that were like this, I'll call them meathead gyms. Um, They they were definitely not a corporate gym, even though it had like a corporate name, you know, world gym, but, um, but they were meathead gyms. Like they, you know, like old world gym used to have like, literally used to have like 200 pound dumbbells. Um, You had, you had people that made their, like people used to make their own equipment and bring it in for people to use like it was a meathead gym and so all of the all of the it was so it was that gym and king's gym was the other one in bedford and so between those two gyms whenever there was a show in cleveland um it it was either king king's gym king's gym would get one half world gym would get the other half of all the wrestlers that were in town for that weekend for that show whatever it was so like on various, so like on various occasions i'd be in there when like i spotted kurt angle one time when he was doing shoulder press oh um, that's awesome what yeah legit a legit wwf superstar he's a two-time olympic gold medalist um one of the one of the best athletes ever to participate in the wwf um dude is a monster not super tall maybe slightly taller than me but like i mean like literally wider than me and i am not a, a narrow person um significantly wider than me huge man um I, I, there's a, there's a tag team duo that I saw in there one time. Um, they were, they, it's funny. Like when they go to work out in like public places, they're very much like covered up. Like, mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, Kurt Angle like, was wearing his hat, like was wearing a hat. And a lot of times had like a hood pulled up over his head too while he was working out. Like he just didn't want the attention. Um, yeah. but they're more than happy. Like, but they're more than happy. Like all their pictures are up in the, were up in the wall at old world gym and all of them were signed. Like they're more oh, yeah. than, more than happy to sign. Like they even have like some pictures with the old owners and stuff like that. They're more than happy to do that shit. But I understand. Like you want to get a workout in. Like you don't want to be bothered the entire time you're doing something like that. Um, so that was really cool too. But in terms of terrible memories, um, speaking of Owen Hart, um, I was I was at uh, Kimbo's house with I believe R.J. and Matt Saracusa when Owen Hart fell and died during the pay per view. And it wasn't like it, it. You can't, you can't find footage of it because it was not on camera. Like, yeah, it, it's it's not on camera. Um, probably, probably the WWF has footage of it, but I'm sure that that's buried in a vault or at this point has been burned. Um But like, you can't, you actually can't find footage of it. But we were there when it happened, and like, we remember like I, we were all kind of like sitting there like, because they were just doing some like crowd shots, and like you could kind of. You know, from like a high camera that was just kind of panning around, and you could kind of see. I believe it was in Kansas City, so you could see whatever arena they were in in Kansas City. You kind of see that there was like a scramble going on, like on the ring. There's a lot of people, but like there was like nothing was being said for a while, and then um, Jim Ross came on to sort of like give the. It was really, it was really interesting. Like when they when they came back in on Jim Ross, uh, Jerry the King Lawler wasn't wasn't sitting next to him. And Ross was talking through it and it was, you know, it's still good old Jr., but like his tone was extremely different Mm -hmm. Um, when he was kind of talking, talking everyone through the, um, you know, what was going on. Like just saying that, like, you know, uh, you know, Owen Hart was um, was to descend from the rafters in a very superhero like entrance. Something went wrong. Something very serious happened. Owen Hart fell. Um, He's being tended to now by the EMTs. And he like just kept reiterating "He's like this is not part of the show. This is, you know, something terrible has happened and it was, I remember, like, it being, Jr. doing such a good job of, like, conveying the seriousness, but not, like, freaking anyone out. But then, like, it, so then, like, they kind of, they cut to a package, like, a, a video package for, like, five or ten minutes. And I remember when it, when they came back, uh, Lawler Lawler seated at this point. He looks distraught. And I guess, like, they literally had whispered right before they went back to Jr. live. They'd whispered to his ear, by the way, you got to tell everyone that Owen Hart died. And like he he was just very like you could just like see it like in his like hear it in his voice see it in his face like how like upset he was but like my goodness they managed to go on with like the remaining hour of the pay per view was fucking it something I will never ever forget never forget that I like yeah. I, even, I even I don't know I even watched like the video of it of of Jr talking recently it is like shocking like how etched into my memory that is considering didn't even see anything that happened.
2: Oh yeah, but still like it, the event is so significant it would definitely be like etched in your mind and stuff like that for sure. And I'm just reading up about um about this particular incident now and stuff like that and like this is some really crazy shit. Like the fact that they continued to wanted to continue the event is like it's just almost like mind-boggling to me but like I, I don't know like what you would do in that case. Like you have a whole r- room full of angry ass people. and you going to send them all home halfway or, you know, without a complete show, it could might've caused chaos and stuff. right So like, yeah, I mean, this is just like a really fucking crazy incident. And yeah, you're right. There's no footage of it of any kind out there that I was able to do during a quick uh, search and stuff. And it was actually the um, arena was, you're right, the Kemper Arena in uh, Kansas City, which I believe this is in Ellie Kemper's family. It's, she's from a prominent like Midwestern family, so I think this might be the same Kempers. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, dude, just really fucking crazy stuff. And the fact that you had actually were there just randomly, like, you know, hey, by the way, we're going to have – fun watching a wrestling event and then something like this happens it's, it's like tragedy There's like a race car a driver driving in the brain dying in the race
0: yeah exactly it, it it's the, there is like there's audio the the span there's like the Spanish audio broadcast because of the way the Spanish broadcast was done it was like on it was on like a delay so like mm-hmm. they have they have like their reaction to it and you can hear the moment that Bret Hart or Bret Hart that Owen Hart hits the, hits the mat. Um, it's not like super loud, but you can hear it in the background. Um, he he fell from like almost 80 feet down to the, down to the mat. Like it, it was, yeah. Like it's one of those things like, I'm, it it doesn't sound like it was, you know, it's not like his like limbs came flying off or something, but it's definitely one of those things. Like, I'm glad I've never seen it.
2: Oh yeah. Oh God. Yeah. That's something you don't want to see. And like, I can only imagine if you had seen it, how, etched in your mind that would have been. Like, you'd never be able to shake that.
0: No. There's a lot of people, like, I know, like, witnesses, they thought it was, you know, people that were in attendance, they thought it was, you know, like, a doll. Because they, mm-hmm. they've done stuff like that before, right? Like, they've they've done, like, tacky shit, like, you know, people jumping off the of buildings and shit like that before. Um, but, like, you know, like, it's it, I think it's, it's one of those things that takes a moment to process that, like, holy shit, that wasn't a doll. Like, dolls don't hit that hard. <laughs> like, right. they don't hit that hard, and, like, they don't... You know, they're not like having seizures right after they hit, you know what I mean? So like it was like one of those things I'm very glad I've never seen.
2: Yeah, I would be very happy to have not seen that too. Definitely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. So and let's get back, let's turn this, turn this back around a little bit. So who was your favorite wrestler growing up?
2: OK, so um, I this is kind of a bland vanilla one, but I was a big Hulk Hogan guy. There's a photo of me as a kid, like dressed up as the Hulk for Halloween that my mom's got in a photo album somewhere. And I was such a fan of Hulk Hogan. H- Hogan, I actually liked Thunder in Paradise. I thought that movie was fucking awesome growing up. So big, big Hulk fan, um, you know, just a, a big blonde dude much like myself so like except I'm nowhere near as in shape or tall or anything like that but I thought the Hulk was fantastic growing up
0: the hulk's awesome um, Hogan is still uh, Hogan is still sort of a a character even even as he's gotten older and has some has had some some of his own issues I think all these all these wrestlers have issues but um yeah. <laughs> even as he's had his own issues um I'll still always love I'll still always love Hulk and I still we'll just randomly call people brother. Um, yeah. because I mean it's just he's just such an indelible like character. He is you can't you can't talk about the history of wrestling without talking about Hulk Hogan. It is impossible. It's impossible oh. to do that.
2: Have you ever seen Thunder in Paradise where Hulk tries to defend his uh, decked out boat from getting uh, repossessed by the uh, United States Army?
0: Oh yeah, well it's a TV show.
2: Oh, a TV show. Yeah. I thought it was a movie. I thought it was a oh, movie no, was for TV some show.
0: reason. I've I'm pretty I feel fairly fairly certain that I've seen every episode of it. I just can't remember it.
2: Yeah, I, like for some reason I remember having a um a VHS tape of it. Maybe it was like, you know how they used to release like episodes on TV on VHS tapes. I might have okay. had one of those.
0: Yeah, I mean, he had some he had he had another movie just like that, though. That's very similar. I can't remember what it's I can't remember what it's called. Like he had another movie that that reminds me of Thunder in Paradise. Not exactly, but yeah. I believe me. I I've I've seen Thunder in Paradise. Um, the Mr. Nanny um suburban commando like i i've seen all the hulk movies hulk the the funny thing about hulk is that he comes along at a time before we figured out how to make the wwf stars into like movie stars you know yeah we weren't there yet but we but they sure as heck did try
2: right exactly yeah you could definitely tell that um things are a little bit different today and stuff but um Like, you're right, they they just weren't entirely there yet. And, uh, yeah, my God, I'm just looking up this whole thing and stuff like that. So it was a... a it was like sort of like a movie at some way, shape it was like a pilot movie, which was uh, um, just yeah. like, a, yeah. So that's why I had the tape and stuff. And then when it aired on television, the pilot movie was broken up into two episodes.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's 20 some episodes of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But they broke the pilot. Up, oh, the, oh, 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 right. the yeah, video gotcha. cassette tape into two separate gotcha. episodes. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. I was, I was going to say, I mean, I've that's, it's one of those, it's one of those shows that like, I I I can't believe. Probably if it came along a little earlier in his career, it might have been on for a few more years. Because I think it'll, I think it's only like a one season show. Um, I mean, back when yeah. shows back when every show got twenty episodes, um, right? I, I I bet it had that come along more like late eighties. That show probably would have run for a couple of years.
2: Oh, I could see this. Yeah, this was um, aired in the nineties. Like started in March of ninety four, going to November of ninety four. Twenty two episodes. So this was yeah, there was just no real place for this particular show at that point in the time in television. Like I think would, cheers would have just wrapped up or been on the verge of wrapping up Frasier entering into the, the, the TV Seinfeld ER and stuff like yeah. that. So yeah, your TV was different in 1994 compared to even in the eighties. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, good answer though. Good answer. I, I have, so like, I have, I mean, I have like a bunch of favorites, um, but like, Loved Goldberg back in the WCW days. Um, yeah, he was he was very fun. Very and uh, you know one of obviously WCW's first superstar. He was very fun. Uh, loved Tatanka, uh, our our uh, Native American stereotype. Although it's okay, <laughs> he, he actually is he actually is part of a tribe from North Carolina. Um, I mean, he's an actual Native American, but you know, still the I'm um, not sure we present Tatanka the same way. Um, today?
2: Probably not, probably not <laughs> Stone Cold
0: Steve Austin maybe one of my most favorite personas of all time um, just a walking talking quote machine he's fantastic but head, head and shoulders above everyone else I am a long time and all time Undertaker fan give me the Undertaker even in his weird American badass Harley riding <laughs> persona period um, fine that was okay but like the, the dead man is one of the ultimate what are the ultimate WWE superstars? Again, another person that you can't, when you talk about the when you talk about the history of the WWE slash WWF, you cannot, there's no way you can't talk about what, where Undertaker's place in history is.
2: Right. Dude, just a big guy, cool ass fucking name, darkest shit persona and stuff like that. This is like one of these ultimate like heel wrestling figures like that we've seen throughout the course of their history. It doesn't get much more iconic than that. Yep.
0: Yep. And maybe some of the best entrances of all time. I, I oh mean, yeah. Some mm-hmm. of the best entrances of all time. I I remember one of the pay-per-views I saw in college. Um it, it was it was it had to be WrestleMania. Um it, the Undertaker's about to be announced and so my other friend, he was a big time Undertaker fan too. Um so like we, we're both pumped up, Undertaker's about to be introduced. All the lights go out in the arena wherever they were. And then like all of a sudden all the lights in the living room go out and like I look over at my buddy who's the other big Undertaker fan. He's right next to the light switch. He just looks at me and gives me a huge thumbs up. Like, God,
2: <laughs> so nice, funny. nice. Very, very nice dude. Yeah. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah.
0: So, uh, during the Monday night wars, were you a WWF or a WCW supporter?
2: Okay. So I was a WCW supporter for the, the Monday night wars and everything. And this, um, is due to a couple different reasons. The first one is, um, I was a little bit older, during the monday night wars so i think some of my like wwf kind of wore off and i was maybe just looking for something new and i remembered getting these trading cards So like, i ended up getting like three different kinds of trading cards like all around the same time they're all wrestling uh trading cards there's like w wf uh, wcw and uh, actually i ended up getting some ecw trading cards somehow and the ecw trading cards one of the very first cards that I saw in this pack was Sting, and I just thought this whole thing with Sting was fucking awesome. Just what a cool ass character. The makeup was very like reminiscent of the the Crow, which was also a movie that had come out in the early nineties and everything like that. So I just I love that that kind of face paint that you see in the crow that you see in on Sting, maybe even like dead presidents and even to the, to the Joker, to the, to a certain degree. I just love that kind of style. So I, I really latched on and kind of gravitated towards the the Monday nitro. And then once Hulk did the flip to the NWO, that was just awesome. Like it, it somehow seemed to be, this thing that I thought wrestling needed was seeing these like three kind of celebrities, star wrestlers pair up together and form mm-hmm. this group um, and it largely set a tone for wrestling in, in the future, which I'll, I'll get into a little bit later on. But um, this to me was just awesome. And I, I remember watching like one of the earlier NWO um, episodes and like these are just like, you know, clearly Hulk has flipped they're going around spray painting stuff. It was cool to like just have this like NWO, which just like looked really badass on like t-shirts and like on like the the TV as far as the graphics went. And this was sort of like the, this era for me. This was we're almost getting to this kind of sort of like my last hurrah with the sport because this would have been like this wave of uh, the Monday Night Wars going into our first couple of years after high school, this is probably when I was at like the, um, the heart of my, like the, the, the highest of my wrestling fandom outside mm. of being a little kid. Mm. And I just, I just thought it was really fucking cool. I thought that it was just a really cool ass, awesome idea. And they really kind of ran with it and stuff. So I, I remember tuning into Monday Nitro more back then.
0: I, I am in the exact same boat for many of the same reasons. It 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 did feel like the WCW had something, a little bit rebellious, mm-hmm. a little bit just it just something that was a little bit just a little bit cooler than the establishment product, at that point in time. And WWF at that point in time was definitely the establishment product. And it it was really interesting to see all the all the talent that they poached, and all the all the talent they were growing on their own was just was just a little bit different from the stuff that we were there was. There were still obviously characters like, um, um, oh gosh, like Sting, like um, I, I, I'm trying to think of some of the more outlandish characters in WCW, but like it, it it didn't it didn't seem like they were relying on as many gimmicks at that point in time as the WWF with someone as you mentioned before like Doink the Clown who had also had like a, a midget Dink that came with right him. and mm-hmm. like there was there's more of that in the WWF and at least as far as I remember, there was less of that in the WCW and it was more about like these kind of like, there were definitely good guys in the WCW, but it seemed like kind of everyone was a bad guy in the WCW. The WCW was run by a bad guy, Eric Bischoff. Like Mm -hmm. he was a self styled villain. Um, So it just, it kind of, it had a certain coolness that the WWF did not have at that point in time. And certainly, you know, they, they, Picked off a lot of really great wrestlers, you know, in terms of, like, obvious talent. But, like, you know, their stage persona and stage presence. They got a lot of, like, the best from the WWF at that point in time. And so the WWF just was not quite what it would sort of rebound. Like, we we didn't have The Rock yet. We didn't have Stone Cold yet. Like, we didn't have, or at least not in, like, at least not fully-fledged personas quite yet. So mm-hmm. the w, WCW really had a leg up on them for a couple of years before things would definitely start to uh, balance out with the WWF's talent. So I'm in the same boat as you.
2: Yeah. Did you notice how, like, around this particular time period that we're talking about, like, throughout the course of my life, and this is my my perception of it, is um, wrestling's always, it's always been popular. But there are these points in times where it seems like it becomes, like, super popular, like, even more so than what it was Mm-hmm. And then then it kind of like, you know, goes back down and then kind of, you know, climbs up the mountain to extreme relevance again. And this point in time might be one of the one of these waves where wrestling was just super, super popular. I mean, kids wearing all the NWO shirts oh, yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, you you didn't see like, at least for me anyway, I didn't see wrestling trickle into pop culture with like apparel, with like maybe um, being referenced on like other shows or maybe even seeing some of these people like in other shows and other other intellectual properties. This was like the heyday of it and stuff. And then like once we once we get in with like Stone Cold and The Rock and stuff, you start to see more of those kind of shirts coming out and everything, more uh, phrases being said in like our regular conversation, mm-hmm. like you smell what The Rock is cooking or jabroni or something. So like this, this period of time was when – I kicked off this, this wave of like super popularity for the WWE that, um, that like, I just don't remember it being like this when I was younger. And then even when like I was in college, it seemed like this time was a real sweet spot for them.
0: Yeah. I I think you're, I think you're right. I think I just, it's one of those, I think this was one of those cases where competition really braided success for both of them in Mm -hmm. different ways. Like you're right. Like, how many NWO shirts did we see in middle school and early on in high school, and then yeah. and then and then after once you know once the WWF kind of wins the Monday Night Raw, Monday Night Wars, how many people wearing Rock and Austin Three Sixteen shirts did we see? I mean, it was everywhere,
2: everywhere. Oh yeah, I mean, how many people were doing the Degeneration X suck it thing yep. just like for no reason whatsoever? Yep. Like, hey, what's going on, dude? Suck so it! You know, I by saying? the way still <laughs> love doing that. Okay. <laughs> Believe me, if I could, th- th- that would be like something that I would just love to be able to transition that hand gesture while driving, because that is just like the perfect driving insult right there. <laughs> yep.
1: Oh, <100%. laughs>
0: I'll tell you what, if you pull it off, you fucking win. That can, whoever yeah, you that to, right. they just have to, they just have to give it up to
2: you. You won. And now I got something to strive for. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there you go. So what kind of wrestler did you want to be?
2: Okay, with most things, I would always prefer to be the bad guy. So I wanted to be a heel. And if I could have one like specificity in there, it would be a heel that is prominent on some kind of prop now like i jake the snake i don't remember him being very heely but i love the fact that he had a a snake with him and stuff Mm -hmm. so something like that where i would be able to build my character's persona off of like a signature prop i don't know what the buzzsaw guitars i have no idea what the hell it would be but that's the kind of thing i would want i want to be a guy who comes out decked out on something but carrying something really cool too gotcha
0: gotcha yeah um yeah, yeah, it, it it seems like it seems like for the most part heels definitely get more more props more so than faces. Um the only the only face I can think of that was prominent with a prop was like Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Came out Yeah, with two, gotcha. 2 by 4. But that's the only one I can right. think of. But yeah. Yeah, then... Ch- Chema, you're right though. Like it's yes, yes. Uh first off, I'll, I'll agree with you heel all the way. I I would love to be someone like Kane. Um this sort of like Kane was definitely like a heel, but more of like, I, I would still paint him more chaotic neutral. Like, if it didn't matter if you were like a good guy or a bad guy. If Kane wanted to come for you, he'd come for you. So like, yeah. kind of more of like an island, I guess, that could be, at, at any point in time, could be aligned more good or aligned more bad. But Kane was definitely like his own, his own sort of persona. I guess Undertaker was like that a little bit too. Uh, but Kane certainly was just sort of a like a, a one-man wrecking crew. Um, and now Kane is, uh, Glenn Jacobs is now the mayor of Knox County in Tennessee.
2: Oh, very cool. Very fucking cool. That's yeah. awesome. I'm, I'm glad to see people having success outside the ring in, in a completely different field. I, I can only imagine how many um, slogans and things like that might have been wrestling-centric. Uh, like, know, I'll slam the opposition, all that. I'll, could, put, I'll put crime in a headlock, stuff like that. Could you
0: imagine now, like, it's so, like, he's the... I guess there's like not an equivalent position. Cause like, so Knox County, it's basically, it's basically Knoxville is like most of Knox County in Tennessee. And yeah. it, it's sort of like, it, it's sort of like here in Cleveland. Like there's, my guess is like the mayor is just a term. I, I think it's more like County commissioner. Like we have Cuyahoga County has a commissioner. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really what it is. But like, so I'm not really sure if there's a ton of campaigning necessarily, but like, could you imagine like showing up at like a campaign event and there's this like six foot 10 270 pound man and like like and you're like you're running against him and be like ah, oh, god <laughs> <laughs> yeah i, I know like right? such like, a, i look like such a fucking wimp next to
1: him
2: dude that's why like fetterman did so great he looks like a big i mean there's many reasons for it but like fetterman is a big strong fucking looking dude and stuff like that like i would definitely put that guy in office over dr oz in the second 100 percent 100 percent
0: uh okay, let's um let's real do a little brief ECW interlude. Um we mentioned it a couple times and I think it's I think it's important to talk about it real quickly at least. Um so ECW's Extreme Championship Wrestling um which is actually one of if you trace the line from the original NWA, ECW is NWA at this point in okay. time. It's not again, it's not an exact straight line, but that's what it is. Um so Extreme Championship Wrestling um, as, the title, as, the, as the name of the promotion suggests, was definitely a little bit more outlandish and certainly more dangerous uh, than either WCW or WWF at the time. Uh, so when did when or and how did you find out about ECW?
2: Okay, so I I narrowed it down to like two possibilities here because i'm drawing a blank on like the actual specific moment i know i had trading cards of ecw but it wouldn't be like oh my god like i'm just going to go to the store and buy ecw trading cards i would have had to have found out about it first so around that time i was hanging out with jason johnson a lot especially like during the week so i could see my introduction to ecw probably coming from him probably He, he loved wrestling yeah, they loved loved yes. loved it. So I would have to say it came from him. And like I could be a little I could be off on that. but if I was to give the general like where the X marks the spot, it's it's coming from that particular household.
1: Gotcha.
0: Yeah, that's a really good guess. Um that would that, like I said, Jason Johnson loved that we're not talking about him in the past. since like he's dead, by the way, we're just, like, it's, we, don't but, sure, we don't know that we
1: for don't sure. We don't know that
0: for sure. We haven't talked to him in a long time, but um, Jason Johnson loved wrestling quite a bit. He was real, real into it. Um, probably more so than, than I, I honestly think like he was the biggest wrestling fan that I knew. Yeah.
2: Probably. He was the biggest sports fan I knew in general, in general and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs>
0: um, so that's, that's probably, that's, you're probably correct. I, that's, I kind of, I really thought back on this, and I really think that I was one of the people who I didn't. No one told me. I think it was my sort of my sort of insistence on trying to like watch the scrambled channels on my shitty little TV that I stumbled Mm -hmm. across it like in like fifth grade or sixth. Yeah, fifth grade. Like I, I, so I do think it was a kind of an organic find because I don't recall. I kept trying to think like who the hell would have told me about this. I think this, for me at least, was an organic find. Um, doing doing the fucking rabbit ear antenna
2: positioning and then like finding it one night. Very nice. Like it had to have had magazines because I remember WWF yes. magazines. So I like a lot of my youth and magazine finding out came to like Northfield Drug where. It, it's on old aid road by Farinacci's and stuff. There used to be a drugstore store over there. I, I can't remember what it is now. And it's been, God only knows how many things, but um, they had like all the fucking magazines in the world. And I can remember, like I could remember like a sports section and stuff. And like ECW had to have something in there too. Cause I remember like physically holding like a magazine and seeing um, the pictures and articles about ECW people.
0: Oh, I, I'm sure that they did. I, Cause that, that seems like a, that seems like an inexpensive way to get your name out there. right? Yeah. Like they didn't have like, unless if you weren't, if you weren't like in New York or Philadelphia, like you weren't going to see ECW on TV unless you like positioned your bunny ears the right way and found the right public access channel. Like it just, it wasn't like it was on cable or, you know, or, TV yeah. or anything at that point in time regularly. Um, so like, that sounds like a, for sure something they would have, they would have had because a magazine is much cheaper to produce than right, than you know, trying to then trying to produce an air a TV show,
2: yeah. there was like around this time, there was like a lot of I mean, this was so many different fucking kind of magazine. I mean, we're talking like Starline magazine, which was like bands oh. and stuff, you know, like I mean, mm-hmm. just an over, but every single fucking topic that you could think of just crammed into this like one section of this like old drugstore and stuff. I mean, they had like fangoria. they had everything, yep,
0: yep. oh, d- remember there remember there used to be like, There used to be like anywhere from five to 10 video game magazines.
2: Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Jesus Christ. (laughs) They were all over the fucking place. And then you had the Nintendo power books that were like the thick books that showed you about how to get through specific games and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. What we had back in the day.
0: It's insane. So what about ECW drew your interest?
2: OK, so like I wasn't as big into ECW as I was the other two properties, largely because I, I don't really remember watching it hard on television watch. with yeah, ease. It's hard to watch. So like anything that um, initially drew me to ECW was like the fact that it was kind of like the exact opposite of like the other two leagues. And like I don't remember a lot of like flashy done up characters. I don't remember a lot of makeup being worn. It, and I don't even remember like the guys. I mean, everybody was in shape but it wasn't like there were just these big giant like gargantuan people it seemed like ECW was more like normal jacked people and stuff mm-hmm. with doing i guess what seemed to be like more real wrestling quote unquote real at least it just kind of seemed to appear to be more like um more vicious and not as like performative to me it just seemed to be kind of i guess just like more raw and extreme yeah
0: oh yeah yeah for sure there was I mean, there are definitely some fat guys, though, for sure. Um, just think of like Balls Mahoney, off the top of my head. He's a big fat guy. Um, but yeah, no, you're you're 100 right. It, it was. I like how you put that. Like it's it's more like real wrestling. It, it's I, I would I would I would kind of expand upon that and, and say that it was like not there's some there's some really good technical wrestlers and some really good af- athletic people in this, but it was for the most part big strong guys that could pick each other up and just fucking throw each other across the room. And that's right, pretty much what what was happening with with ECW.
2: Yeah, of course. Like just getting those fucking dudes in there and just cause a run a fucking muck, you know? Which
0: which is what I really liked about it. Like there was just sort of like this very there's this like you as you put it this sort of rawness to it. Like sure, like you know guys would do a powerbomb or whatever, but then like their next move would be to pick guy up and just throw him into a table. Like there was no technique behind it. It was just launch guy from point A to point B. Um, yeah, and sort of like. That's pretty much what a lot of the wrestlers were doing, and so like it was very. So if you're gonna if you're not gonna have like the most, you know, technically talented wrestlers, then you got to make up for it with a little bit of violence, a little bit extreme. I I really, I was just drawn into the fact that it was like, it was a full three notches above what the other federations were doing. Like it was, it was definitely like, well, let's really dial up the insanity because we're we're not gonna beat them we're not going to beat them on, uh, on showmanship or technicality or technical prowess. So let's just go ahead and be extreme. Let's just do fucking crazy shit.
2: Right. And like by about, you know, by about the time that I would have been discovering this, like the, um, you know, it was just kind of like a step of, like, it just seemed that I was evolving from the WWF and this was kind of something that I came across in my overall descending relationship with wrestling and stuff, you know, it was just very different and yeah. something cool, you know? And like I, there's I, WWF is like, I guess in terms of performance was like way more polished and it was just cool to see something that wasn't as polished. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's the, the, the um it's the indie movies of of wrestling correct yeah. yeah
2: exactly the indie horror flicks of wrestling yep. yes <laughs> um, so so you didn't you
0: didn't have any specific ECW memories at all
2: okay there's nothing from the tv that i'm able to recall for our conversation shake okay. but i do have one thing that um, will segue into some of the other questions in this topic oh, when sure. we get to them is that um ecw was the very first wrestling company um, promoter that i could remember having shows at the Agora now, mm-hmm. like a, a lot of uh, like we've talked about earlier, WWF for the most part, at least like in my life has been large scale arena shows, like playing the, the Coliseum to the queue Q, things like that. You know, they weren't doing shows at the Brown stadium, at least from what I can remember, but they have done stadium shows, just not in Cleveland. And like when um, I was at the age where I was starting to like look up concerts and kind of becoming aware of like bands coming into town and even being allowed to go to shows by my parents. I was checking like the scene magazine and the Friday magazine and stuff like that, just weekly. And ECW was doing events at the Agora. And I was very, very surprised to just find out that they had had wrestling events at the Agora because I just always knew it for shows. And of yeah. course like the Agora has been doing different kind of events forever, but this was like my first time that I ever took a conscious like awareness of a, like a, a wrestling company doing a show in a smaller venue. And I do have some more to say about the Agora and stuff as we get into this particular section, but th- that's what I got for this end for this question.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. There's, um, <clears throat> I think that was some of the. I think that was like some of the interesting charm about about ECW, like the the venues that they were in, and mm-hmm. that's actually something that like I very very sharply remember about like one of the first. It, it was it was they used to show their pay per views like on delay, uh, and but by not like on delay I mean like you could see like um you know you could see the November pay per view the next month. It would just okay. it would just air it. Because yes. they're not—it's not like they made a shit ton of money off of them. They're not going to make any more money off of it by holding on to it. So they would just like right. show the next month. So they would show last month's pay per view the following month. Um, and I distinctly remember watching one of those pay per views. It was—it would have been late '90s. I want to say '98 or '99. Um, and it was this place that they used to go. Like this. So ECW basically was essentially East Coast and they would mm-hmm. occasionally come into the Midwest in Cleveland, Chicago, Indy to do shows and stuff, but they were generally like an East coast promotion. And I distinctly recall this. I don't know what the fuck it was. It possibly like, possibly like an Italian American sort of like, um, like assembly hall. Cause yeah. I, Cause I always remember there's Italian flags up like multiple Italian flags up. So like it had to be some kind of like, you know, Italian Americans league in New York kind of deal. Um, Right someplace Tony Soprano definitely would have been hanging out uh, when he was. In right. Era. Oh yeah. Um, but it was, uh, it was in Queens and there's this very particular, like it's really tight. It's so it's has like a main floor and then it has like a balcony that's like right on top of the main floor. And then like, there's like another section behind that. Um, but it's, everything's like really compact. You could fit maybe probably if you fit everyone in there, maybe a couple thousand people, you know, like four or 5,000 tops. And mm-hmm. I just remember this, it was new Jack versus balls mahoney. Um, love ball, love, I mean balls mahoney. It's great. Um, balls Mahoney, big fat guy, big fat, sloppy guy. New Jack, um, not as big or fat as a sloppy guy, but new Jack, um, he used to come out to ice cubes natural born killers, which was awesome. And nice. he then he would drag out a trash can full of weapons and just <laughs> throw them into the ring, and then just the fight began. And I remember this I remember this fight because, Balls Mahoney, he gets Balls Mahoney on a table, and then he just, like, disappears. And, like, his music starts playing again. Like, his the natural-born killer starts playing again. And then you see you see New Jack walk kind of back up the entrance, and then, like, he reappears in that balcony, and he's walking through this fucking crazed crowd of people, high-fiving and stuff, while his music's playing. He climbs up to the edge of the balcony, and from, like, this 12-foot balcony onto, like, this concrete floor on top of Balls Mahoney does a does a moonsault and just lands it perfectly and they both just smash into the fucking ground there is no mat underneath them there's no that table didn't have support like some of the tables and things are breakaway in a certain way to help like cushion falls um you know when you when you go when you watch like a wwe show now you'll see like how much padding is on the floor this was just a concrete floor that they fell (laughs) into and they're just lying there for like i mean a solid couple minutes while while natural born killers is still playing in the background, they have they both have to get help into the ring, and they lie there for a couple more minutes, and then like they finally like gathered the strength to get back at it, and like it like and then they continue the like it's unbelievable. It's one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen.
2: Yeah, dude, that sounds absolutely fucking crazy and stuff like that right there. Right? Like that definitely sounds some like extreme wrestling right there. Like something that would only. It just seems like something that um, you wouldn't really get anywhere else, like just especially with the weapons and stuff like that and a garbage can of weapons, no less. And then to also um, to have that kind of, um, I guess, like lack of preparation just seems like in terms of like table falling and some of the padding and stuff just definitely seems like a more independent wrestling. Play, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It,
0: it was nuts. It was nuts. The other, the other thing that I really always have loved about ECW um, one that they use like actual songs, like they use actual music probably because they couldn't afford a band to make music for them. I'm gonna go ahead and guess. Um, so they always use actual songs, and there was Sandman, the Sandman used to come out to enter Sandman. and yeah, during one of the during one of the musical breakdowns on his entrance, he would walk into the crowd, get riled up with everyone, crack a beer, chug the beer, smash the can on his head, and then like go fight. It was like <laughs> one of the best entrances of all time.
2: Yeah, that is fucking awesome right there. I love the whole idea of just like, like Stone Cold used to do, like, the whole chugging the beer thing and yep. stuff. There's just something about watching somebody chug a can of beer that just gets you fired up. Oh, Oops,
0: sorry, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, what? So was the W? Was the excuse me, Was the, was the ECW a gateway to any other foreign or underground any wrestling companies? for
2: you oh i def, i definitely believe that not in terms of like me watching any of the stuff like um but i do believe that this was a somewhat of a floodgate opener for a lot of like independent wrestling stuff to get their to get their names yeah. out there to maybe start doing shows and like to continue what i was saying about the agora was like in my life like the agora has been popular like for forever and stuff like that but there was this point in time um from like 2003 or so through like maybe 2015 where the agora was in a real lull and a lot of this is largely due to a part to the house of blues opening up which i think opened up in 2003 2004 Mm -hmm. and they were just getting a lot of acts that the agora used to get now during this time period um the agora was basically being held up by and being supported and the only thing that would come to it were like independent wrestling shows. So not only did you have ECW, you started to get ICP wrestling. You started to get maybe like certain like, uh, Lucha Libre, like themed Mm -hmm. wrestling events and stuff like that, that would come through. And, um, I didn't remember seeing these before because a lot of the Agora was just mostly concerts and stuff. And now that the House of Blues came in with like, you know, a solid booking agent because Belkin Productions in Cleveland, I believe, had dissolved about right around this time. Mm -hmm. So the the Agora didn't have like a solid booking agent and they were just kind of taking whoever would come play there. Like the Agora maybe averaged from 2004 to 2015 – there might be like two or three shows of bands that you've actually heard of play the Agora. Like I remember Wolfmother played in 06 and it was like, holy shit. Like I have heard of a band that's playing the Agora. My first time going (laughs) to the Agora in like 10 years, probably like eight eight years or so. And um, these independent wrestling um, promotions, these independent fight promotions, these companies and doing events at the Agora were by far and away like one of the main reasons that the Agora survived long enough to still be open and then kind of have their most recent renaissance where like live nations sunk some money into the venue finally so um they still do events like this but there are concerts coming left and right like during this 2003 2004 to 2015 period it was mostly fights and wrestling and bands that like you and I would never go see. So like the Agora owes a lot of their success to these independent wrestling promoters. Like, they owe a lot of their recent or their sustainability to these yeah. independent wrestling promoters.
0: Right. Right. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. No, you're, I never, yeah, I never even thought about that. Who, yeah, that's who is filling up a lot of these places.
2: Yeah. The Odeon went through the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as like the, um when we were like, so as soon as these kind of like, local concert promoter things like Belkin and other cities having their equivalent of as soon as these promoters started to dissolve and were absorbed by national promoting offices like house of blues, a lot of these venues that used to have shows like in particularly like the Cleveland and the, the Agora and the Odeon, they needed to find a way to make ends meet. And these people need places to set up a ring and have a show and they delivered on that.
0: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely um so did you have a favorite ecw wrestler
2: i remember being the steiner brothers being something kind of cool that i thought i was just like another brother kind of combination team but I, I don't remember being that into it where i had such a such a fan of ecw the way that i had gotcha. with like the hulk and wcw stuff gotcha gotcha yeah
0: it's it, it definitely if like if you can't see ecw ecw regularly it's kind of hard to keep up with it i think i could be wrong but i think at some point when we were in high school some one of the cable networks began showing it like Saturday nights at like 10 or 11 o'clock, but like that's like literally that literally would have been like kind of missed the the you know ECW's golden age, it would have been like after that basically. So if you didn't watch it, you were you probably weren't connecting to anybody, but I will say you probably um, you know who Pete Weber is?
2: Uh, the name does sound familiar, he's yeah, a
0: pro, he's a pro bowler.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Wears
0: sunglasses. He's always kind of. He's got like a badass persona, as if bowlers can be badass. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but like he, whenever he gets, whenever he like, you know, he'll, he'll, whenever he like rolls a strike or does something good, takes a lead to match, he always he always does his um he, he always points to his back. He does two thumbs, points to his back, and goes P D W. And yep. That comes straight from E C W. And one of my favorites, Rob Van Dam. That was his little thing. Because He used to have RVD on the back of his, uh, of his singlet. And that was always this thing going RVD. So, um, it, so ECW permeated other, other sports things, basically, is what I'm saying here.
2: Yeah. I looked up uh, P. Weber and the very first photo that comes up on Google images is the thumbs up pointing back. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. So, oh, uh, real quickly, I kind of skipped over, but, um. It, it, ECW was like a bit of a curiosity gateway for me, but like it was mostly just like I was just curious about like I was just curious about like what so like what is below this
1: exactly <laughs> <laughs>
0: like what is below this and like that you know so like you can find some interesting shit like um, like at this point in time you had like Japan was Japan was doing some real extreme shit like they had like this exploding barbed wire dead death match where like there was actual like sort of I mean, there were explosives, but it was just like black powder would like sort of line the ring or whatever, um, and like it would like ignite if if like if guys got like too close to the edge or whatever. And I think like one guy definitely got burned pretty badly. Uh, yeah, they're doing always that.
2: doing stuff pretty extreme over there. Yeah, yes they
0: are. Um, yeah, but like it, it was one of those things. It wasn't like I suddenly got real into like backyard wrestling or anything. It was just more of a huh. There's there are people that wrestle below this interesting let's find out more about that but never really went anywhere because like as as we kind of have been sort of talking about it's not when you get below ecw the wrestling gets even worse and so and so so do the personas and the stage presence gets even worse so it's really not like it's like a, a a good thing to watch basically it's not it's not aesthetically pleasing
2: Sorry about that. I was coughing and everything. Oh, no problem. Yeah, no I, problem. I, I understand what you mean. Yeah, definitely, dude. Definitely.
0: So besides these, you know, there are, you know, as they, they still exist, there's still underground and indie wrestling companies out there. Do you think the extreme style, you know, outside of those companies, do you think the extreme style of wrestling is basically dead?
2: God, I hope so. <laughs> I really fucking hope so. I mean, we were alive in the 90s when in the early 2000s when Jackass was around and we were just being flooded with all kinds of videos of people being stupid and doing stupid things to hurt themselves, I just could not stand Like this was like one of these things like in the internet that I just like was not a fan of. Why do I want to watch somebody take a, a blade to the face or jump on a table of nails, whatever the hell it might be. And I, I don't know, there's something about what's going on in these backyard videos that does, and I really hate to put it this way, but it does look kind of like lower class in comparison to some of the wrestling products that we have been exposed to throughout the course of our lives. And it is just, it's always been very unappealing to me in every way, shape or form.
1: Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. I think, I think it's, yes. Like I, I understand what you're saying. I think the, I think that this like real extreme wrestling stuff, it's just, it, it can't, you can't market it except for to a very thin band of people. And if something's not going to make money, because these these companies are more even the even the even the more the smaller companies like the NXTs and TNA's, which I know are are they are owned by the WWF, but even these sort of smaller productions can't sell or they need to sell their product. And if you continuously if you purposely narrow your own your own the own market that you're selling to, like you can't make as much money. So they're never going to sort of beyond every now and then having like an extreme, no rules match kind of deal. They're never going to get back into that simply because you can't sell, you can't sell a character like new Jack. You can't sell a character like balls Mahoney. Like you, you can't sell these characters. You can't sell what they do because it's just not, it, again, you can sell them, but you can't sell them to, as we, as we mentioned before, you can't sell them at all four quadrants. It's just, it's impossible.
2: Right, the, the crazy people who would really be attracted to that kind of stuff is a very limited market in the grand scheme of things. Exactly, exactly.
0: All right, let's move on to our next segment here, talking about WWF, or I guess should say WWE, then and now. We did actually watch wrestling uh, for this <laughs> for this episode, and we'll get into some of the more specifics there. But just real quickly, kind of um, this is like more of the the ten thousand foot view. Of what the WWE is now and kind of what we remember. So what were the Chemmer, for you, what were the three biggest differences between the WWF of our youth and the current WWE?
2: Okay, so one big difference that I noticed was it seemed like just about everybody in the current WWE was affiliated with some type of group. And I don't really remember this mm. being a thing in the in the earlier days of the WWE. So like um, like Roman reigns had this had the bloodline. bloodline yeah. this guy Gunther had Imperium. Uh, Santos Escobar had the Legado de Fantasma, the, mm-hmm. the League of Ghosts. So I, I don't remember a lot of these like associations with various groups. So it seemed like the, the New world Order thing um, mm-hmm. in the 90s, this formation of groups, was like a, a trickle down effect of this, like the a, a, a introduction of the new world order. At least like it seems like that to me.
1: Yeah,
0: I, I think um, you're, you're definitely right. Cause I think we, you know, in our, in our, in our middle school and high school days, um, be, outside of the NWO, you had a lot of singular superstars. Um, you know, be it Goldberg, be it, um, be it The Rock, Stone Cold, a lot of singular stars. And you're right now, it seems like everyone is affiliated with some, you know even if it's like a two-man one like uh chad gable and otis are right. academy like right it's a two-man it's a two-man association like so um but yeah like it, it does seem like everyone is sort of in a group now I, and i i don't recall that being there certainly were they always existed but it definitely seems like that's more prominent now than it was previously
2: Yeah, man, it was like I'm telling you, there was so much back and forth with these like particular groups. And you had like Judgment Day was in there. I mean, there was just a lot like, uh, oh, my God, um, I wrote down damage, damage control was one of them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just the Viking invaders. I mean, there were a a lot of these fucking groups and everything like that. And like I I actually like I I think it's kind of cool, like that they have some kind of association, that there's like something else Tied to them, mm-hmm. but I will also say that at some point in time, I was just like, God damn it, are all these fucking people affiliated with something? Like, how much, <laughs> how many things do I got to keep track of?
0: I know, I know. It is, yeah. It, it's that was, that was definitely one of the things sort of, sort of dropping into it um, cold that kind of like started me, like, oh, so wait, these people don't like each other? Wait, they wait, which person doesn't like, like, the, the right. sort of the way that the, the uh, alliances and the, 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 uh, the you know the way that they overlapped or didn't overlap who was fighting with who i was kind of like that was definitely like a little bit of a shock to the system i was like jesus christ it's a little hard to keep up with all this but you're right like it, it i i wonder i wonder if that doesn't help well no it has to that helps that has to help with marketing right branding
2: oh yeah it's another like you could sell a roman range t-shirt and a bloodline t-shirt yep. you know you could have a action figures of Roman Reigns in his regular garb. And then you could have the special edition bloodline one and stuff. It's all marketing and merchandising. Definitely. Absolutely.
0: Good one. Excellent one. Um, How about, how about this one? (sighs) Women aren't sex objects anymore. Um, Yeah, certainly. I mean, certainly there are some really attractive women that still, um, that still wrestle in the WWE, but that's more of the thing now. They're actually wrestling. They're not, Mm -hmm. they're not just showing up, um, you know, wearing, you know, next to nothing, and then standing ringside. Um, the women actually wrestle and it's definitely not about it's definitely not about their their sex appeal. Again, although plenty of them are very attractive. It is about like what they can do as actual wrestlers. I I went back and watched um, I like I, I was just I was blown away one at how how technical and how good some of these women are as wrestlers. Um, but again they probably you know, they're mostly like in their twenties and thirties, they've probably spent the better part of their lives actually training actually being like trained by wrestlers and training to yeah. wrestlers. Whereas when you go back to more like our, our youth, someone like, um, uh, someone like Stacy Keebler, someone like Sable or Trish Stratus, while they were, while they were pretty athletic, I'm going to go ahead and guess they didn't get the same sort of training as kids. <laughs> right. Like, and, and in fact, like I actually watched a, just for a comparison sake, I watched a Trish Stratus, uh, Stacy Keebler match from like the late nineties. And, First off, Stacey, I mean, Stacey, they're both really hot. Stacey Kuebler is just a smoke show. Uh, there's a reason why George Clooney dated her for a while. Like, she's really, really hot. Right. Um, but, like, so Stacey Kubler is in um, a plaid skirt and thong fighting. Oh, and God. Tris Stratus is, like, her her tits are barely being held back by this, like, leather bustier. And mm-hmm. the, the fighting is definitely okay. I mean, they're both very athletic, so the fighting's Okay compared to all of the any take your pick of any of the of, of the of the women's matches that we saw they're way more accomplished wrestlers and they're better fighters. They're much like they're you know they're on the sex appeal is it the same? No, of course not. But they're like actual fighters now.
2: Yeah, I, there was something that I did take notice of because in the Friday Night SmackDown that I watched that was from November 11th, there was a 6 match. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, found, I found it. I wrote, I had like handwritten notes and I had tight notes here. So there's a six-pack match and um, you're looking at, you're right, like everybody in there definitely like attractive and stuff like that, but it wasn't like it wasn't like Stacy Cable or Trish Stratus where it looks like basically models who's like, Hey, you guys, uh, you want to make some money and join a wrestling thing. You know, we right. need hot people to get slammed into the floor. These people, um, who were in the six pack, Matches, like Liv Morgan, um, Raquel Rodriguez, Ziya Lee, Lacey Evans, uh, Shotzi Blackheart and Sonia DeMille, all the, all six of them had real skills and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I mean, you saw a lot of, Different moves, and you actually saw some like really great execution here and stuff. And the six-pack match was going like you, the winner was going to go fight uh, Ronda Rousey Ronda and everything yeah. like that. So like there was definitely more to watch in terms of uh, wrestling maneuvers and stuff in in the modern setting than I can remember. From these earlier, um, the Stacy Keebler Tristatus Stratus and Sable days.
0: Yeah, exactly. I actually I wrote down multiple times for that six pack match. I wrote down multiple times that Raquel Rodriguez is a unit. Um, she's she's yeah. like six feet tall, 170 pounds, and like she was multiple times like body slamming people off the top rope, easily picking up. I mean, some of these, you know, like um, I think it's like ZLE was like one of the smaller ones, and like yeah, does really tiny. Can, do you think she picks her up i mean like back in the day you would not have seen stacy Keebler pick up and power slam someone off the top rope no way that that would not have happened
2: yeah no not a fucking chance in hell you i don't even know if they'd really put those people in position to get actually hurt so <laughs> like these people were going to town on each other in the yep. six-pack match from uh, last friday and everything yeah it was, it was
0: very impressive very impressive uh how about uh, how about your next difference there
2: OK, so my second one is this is what I'm calling the in generals um, in terms of production quality. Oh, my God. Jesus, This is a yes. whole fucking different experience than yes. when I was younger. I mean, you are just looking at way more in terms of even the lighting is just way more complex than it used to be when I was growing up. The, the addition of the monstrosity like IMAX screen that's on the one end mm-hmm. of the arena was something that you you just did not have when we were growing up and stuff. So the production quality of the, the show itself just through the roof in comparison to how it used to be. And then um, the other in general that I have is uh costuming choices just way, just infinitely better. I mean, like oh, yeah. you could even tell like, um, when you look at some of the the difference in costumes, um, not necessarily the guys that come out in just the um, you know the the short shorts and stuff like that, but people who are wearing full fledged costumes had just like, you're just looking at a way better quality of a costume. I mean, you could tell with the, the, the intricacies and in, like the leather and the coloring and even some of the fringes and the different um, like laces and ties that hold everything together. You're just looking at a way better, way better product in terms of costuming.
0: Oh, 100% for sure. Um, the, the production is the production itself. They, they, it feels almost like you're watching a football game. You get instant yeah. replays, picture in picture. You get stats right. <laughs> on the sides right. of stuff. Like it, it, it is much more polished than it, than it ever has been before. Uh, there's even like a, um, like a, a, football games have the progressive game flow. They even had the progressive match flow to to go through and do some like, get some other, like it was like a replay and then it like, it was replay from a different angle. Then it was like crowd reaction to that. the what they just saw, I was just like, man, this is just like watching. It's just like watching a football game basically.
2: Yeah. They did such a great job with like, with various replays and like the different, um, slow motions and stuff like that to like really let you feel like what some of these people are feeling. And when you see some of these moves in slow motion, they just take on a whole different level of pain. Like when you see it live, it's like, yeah, like that clearly looks like it would fucking hurt. But then when you see it in slow motion, it's almost like cringeworthy. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, uh, yeah, they, they do such they do a really great job with that production. It's fucking awesome. Um, how about uh, my second one here? As we as we briefly mentioned before, they really aren't playing into racial stereotypes as heavily um, as they used to before. There's, yeah, there is a little bit there. Like I'm, I'm like particular thinking about Gunther and the Imper- and the Imperium sort mm-hmm. of. Um, I mean, he's Austrian, but playing into that like Austrian German sort of stoicism and right that kind of thing but it really isn't in in years past that gunther character would have been wearing lederhosen and <laughs> would have had a beer stein in his hand or like it would have been something like way over the top like that and that has certainly been turned way down and it and i think i think what it, it to me what it seems like it's less it's less dealing in the racial stereotypes and more like hey what part of your like i can't remember the gunther's real name but Hey, you're from Austria. Would you like to lean into your Austrian heritage? Yes, I would. Or for someone that they, he fought Ray Mysterio, who's you know, a luchador, obviously. Um, so, like the you know, that sort of Mexican heritage is always right at the front, as opposed to Mexican stereotypes, which might have been a thing, you know, twenty, thirty years ago.
2: Right. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's they're de- like definitely leaning into s- certain things, but it's not as in your faces, like some of these attitude era stereotypes. And there was a guy, um, they were doing the world cup, like the, I think it was the the SmackDown world cup. And it was a later match. And his name is completely escaping me right now. And I did not write it down, but he wore a turban. Oh,
0: and uh, Jinder, Jinder Mahal.
2: Jinder Mahal. Yes. Thank you so much. Yes. So he wore this turban and, and like, yeah, it's a, it is a turban and everything, but he wasn't talking in an accent and making funny noises in, a, in an accent and everything like that. It was just a big Jack angry man wearing a turban. So they gave him something to, you know, like, Hey, this guy is middle Eastern, but, but it stopped right there.
0: Uh, Indian. But yeah, yeah. He's from he's Punjab um, or yeah. Punjab. Um, yeah. He's Indian. So like, yeah, like it's, it's leaning into a part of, I mean, he's from Canada, but um. But yeah, leaning into his into his actual background, like the, you know, mm-hmm. if you are, if you are if, if a lot of it, like I, I don't think a lot of people know this. If you're like a lot of it, most Indians are Hindu, but then also there's like 300 million Muslims in in India, or it might even be right. more than that. Um, so a lot of a lot of Indians wear turbans, they wear headbands, um, like that's just like what they wear. Um, my 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 friend who actually went back to India to <laughs> to go get married um he like like goes back to india boom he's in his turban all the time so like it's it's not it, this isn't like sabu who was an ecw personality it, and sabu was like this middle eastern um saudi arabian vague, vaguely saudi arabian character who was definitely played by a guy named mike um like <laughs> mike, mike winters or mike mitchells or something like that i can't remember the guy's full name um it's not like that that is playing into a Middle Eastern stereotype. This is bringing out something that is actually a part of this guy's
1: culture.
2: Yeah, of course, that's that's exactly right. And there wasn't any like flicking the audience off, like, you know, hey, fuck you Americans. There wasn't anything right. like that. It was just this guy wearing a piece of his cultural heritage on his head before the match started.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Do you have another one?
2: Oh, uh, yes, my last one for the three is, um, so- the moves themselves were definitely more acrobatic in the WWE than the WWF. Like you saw jumps, you saw jumps off the rope and everything like that. And you did see certain like flips and everything like that growing up. But now there were definitely a lot more of it. And I noticed like, I mean these flips that people do had like turns and twists worked into them and stuff. And, there were a lot more like high flying um high flying moves like in particularly like with the opening tag team match from the November 11 Smackdown mm-hmm. like these dudes were just jumping like oh, all yeah. over the fucking oh, yeah. place so the moves themselves definitely were more acrobatic and a little more showy um for certain um wrestlers in a current WWE than they were when we were younger
0: absolutely i had i had the same it's kind of the same idea here, so I'll just expand upon. I just had the wrestlers are more qualified than ever before. And because you have more qualified wrestlers, meaning like they're, they're just better at every piece of this, especially the, physica- the physicality part of it. So you have more people able to execute some, like, high-flying maneuvers. I mean, even, even the guy we just talked about, Jinder Mahal, moved around really well for a guy who is about six four, two 240 pounds. Like, he moved easily around. Um, mm-hmm. And the guy he fought, Braun Strowman, for someone who's over three hundred pounds moved around really fast and really easily. And in in years past, especially when we were when we were growing up, guys that size would not have done acrobatic stuff. Guys that size right. were much much slower. And even you know even like you know the, the Usos and the and the New Day that's the tag team that led off the November eleventh uh, SmackDown. Like even those like they're not the size of like a Braun Strowman or even a Ginger Mahal. Those are still two, those are still like four big guys who were easily flying around the ring in a way that like, you're right. We just never would have seen guys who were that big before do it and extend that to the women. The women were flying around. the. I I remember specifically, um, EO sky was fighting Dana Brooke from Cleveland. Um, like and EO sky was like all over the ropes. Like it was no big deal. And women back then would not have been doing that. If you know, like, even like think of the, like China, uh, the late China, who was like our first sort of like legit female wrestler—not first, but in our era, the first. Yeah. China wasn't jumping around on ropes like that. No fucking way.
2: Yeah. No. Not at all, man. You weren't getting that. And like these, the six-pack match was full of all kinds of different acrobatics and stuff like that. They were doing more complicated stuff than the dudes. Yep. So, did so you, like, oh, real quickly, just, just did you flying around, around all over.
0: Yeah. Did you catch in that that Liv Morgan definitely missed the mark on her jump onto the table?
2: I I don't remember specifically off if the top you, of my head and stuff, but like yeah, if I go back and see it, I guarantee it's you, probably clear to say.
0: You can YouTube this part of the fight. Um, I, I did that. Like they they put they they put um probably like eighty percent of the of you know any particular match they put like about eighty percent of it on their YouTube channel. Hmm. There's it's like when there was a moment when. Um, Raquel Rodriguez was gonna put, was gonna power slam. I think it was Sonya Deville through the table on the, on the on the outside of the ring, and Liv Morgan comes like flying in, and I don't know if she like I couldn't see like where she jumped from. If she like just sort of like maybe her foot slipped or something, because she lands like way short, and she like knocks everyone like away from the table as opposed to into the table. Like it was definitely a miss, but it's one of those things. It's like twenty years ago, if they if they had a women's match like this, they wouldn't have even tried that.
2: No, not at all. Not at all, dude. And like, yeah, some images are starting to come together in my mind and everything. And like that, just that wasn't kind of happening. The fact that the the women were outside of the ring as much as they were having all that chaos, I don't think would have been a thing twenty years ago.
0: Exactly. So, so let's let's take these uh, one at a time here. Old WWF. What is something you like about the old WWF?
2: Okay, so like, I did appreciate that it was a little less polished than it was today. So Mm -hmm. we maybe got a little bit more like violent stuff. It was, it's not like I'm just like sitting around craving like blood or anything like that. But, um, you know, the moves definitely seem to be a little bit more on the violent side. Back when we were growing up, there were, you know, we saw a lot of really great, awesome moves and stuff in the matches that we watched, but it was just, at times it was a little too polished. And um, I let me just give me one more second, because I just want to make sure I don't have any place to bring this up again. Okay. Okay, no. Okay. So um, in the current setting, there were there was a lot of like down and recovery time where like especially on SmackDown, not so much on Raw, but definitely on SmackDown. There was a lot of lingering everybody kind of getting themselves together time. And I just, like, I kind of don't remember that being so much a thing when we were growing up. So some of these, like, um, some of these moves and how people react to the moves, I just remember being a little bit more, like, forceful when we were growing up.
0: Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, I I think you're right, too. There's there's just something about it that was a little bit more um, lo-fi and Mm -hmm. just kind of, brought a little bit of a little bit more um you're right it just seemed a little bit more violent, a little bit more like maybe a little bit more dangerous
2: is the better word yeah dangerous realistic almost realistically dangerous yeah Yeah.
0: because because like you're right they're so polished now that some of these moves like don't not that they don't look dangerous but they just look they're like so smooth they almost look beyond choreographed you know
2: yeah it looks like too performative and stuff like that yeah exactly gotcha
0: um yeah so i'm with you on that um i'll add to it i think while i did love a lot of the entrances and i love how like the the uh the titantron is kind of like basically a whole like side of the arena now um i do think that and this could just this also could just be a case of that we we've only seen we're not we haven't seen we didn't see a pay-per-view or anything but it does feel like the back in the days of the wwf their entrances were a little bit more iconic than they are now. Yeah, are I hear you. And there are definitely some that I noted in my notes here that like they just fell flat. Like when thinking about like when um, I want to say it was on the I can't remember which SmackDown it was when LA Knight comes out, it just doesn't feel like he's. And he, I don't think he's supposed to be iconic necessarily, but it just like it, I'm just like oh well, this is an entrance I'm not going to remember like whatsoever. Right. And I, I I and I'm as I'm sitting here thinking about it. I don't remember it whatsoever
2: yeah there were a lot of the intros that kind of just went one ear and right out the other like uh, there's one that i was particularly impressed with which we'll we'll get to as the conversation continues but unless you had a really prominent image on the titantron a a lot of them did seem to kind of go in one ear and right out the other yeah
0: exactly um so how about something you know now thinking back about the wwf something that you're like you're just like, man, I, I I, can't believe, like, I, you know, I just, I really don't like this aspect of it, thinking back
2: on it. Okay, I really did not like them having Vince McMahon as an actual wrestler. I loved the tyrant owner type character and just like, you know, the guy laughing, you know, like, hey, minions oh, yeah. laughing being evil. Once he got into the ring, I thought that was a little excessive. Mm -hmm. And like whether it was Vince McMahon trying to like stroke his own ego, like, hey, just give me a chance. Now I want to be in front of the camera. But it just I don't know, man, it just really didn't work. And like, I know he's a bigger dude and stuff, but it's a really big sell to see to say that Vince McMahon was even capable of taking on Stone Cold. So like it just (laughs) just seemed a little bit too, too much.
0: I'm trying to remember how old Vince McMahon would have been at that. Let's, you know, let's just rewind 20 years. So he would have been like late fifties. Uh, and yeah, he's in tremendous shape for even now he's in tremendous shape for someone in his late seventies because he's on steroids, but it, like there's just this laughable component to it. Maybe if, maybe if McMahon was 50 and Stone Cold Steve Austin at that point in time was also 50, maybe it would have made more sense. Um, right. Like it, it's just, you're right. It, it's one of those things it, it's the, the meddling owner is, can only go so far. Like, and you're right. He's it, the meddling owner is better. You know what he's better at any, it doesn't matter. Vince McMahon, Bischoff, um, any of the other, you know, owner promoters, whatever it, they're better off grabbing the superstars foot from the outside of the ring and tripping him So his guy yeah. wins. It's, yeah it's always the it's always fucking tacky and and really like really cheesy when oh now they're gonna get in the ring for for their own you know for their company's own title belt. that's stupid.
2: yeah, exactly. that just seemed like a little bit too much of like that being about him and not the actual product yeah
0: um with you on that one absolutely. how about like really thinking about this in compa- very much in comparison to a lot of the the entertainers we saw. Back in the day, man, there were just too many slow fat guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there were a lot of them. And, and like in some cases, like that was like, you know, the um, thing of like Yokozuna, like the the guy who was an actual sumo at one point in time in Japan and then mm-hmm. brought that over to the United States. That That's like one thing. But there are a bunch of just big sloppy fat guys that weren't really, you know, maybe they were technically proficient, but they weren't showy. They didn't move well. Uh, they just like thinking about them now, they they would just slow down the product completely now.
2: And they did then, yeah, oh, dude. Like yeah, I know exactly what you mean. There were no real fat guys in the um maybe like if there were, it was like Otis, you know, like these side characters yeah. and stuff. But anybody that was, Over, you know, 300 pounds was still a big jackass fucking dude. You know, there wasn't any, like, there were no pot bellies in the ring and in in the matches I watched.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So how about something for the WWE currently, something that you do love that, you know, that really, like, you're just like, man, this is great.
2: So we did get into this a little bit before, but I, I do appreciate that they really leaned away from the culturally offensive stuff. Like, I was going in researching other wrestlers that were really culturally offensive man. And even this group of women called PMS, I was just like, man, like thank God that <laughs> this kind of stuff is not around because it's just, it's just like cringeworthy and everything, mm-hmm. you know, and there are things that um, I have found to be particularly cringeworthy even on television and movies and stuff like that from back then, where oh, I was yeah. just like, God, God, like when I was watching John Carpenter's vampires and the whole thing was about the priest getting hard and mahogany and all that. I was like, yeah, wow, that's a foo week. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's just kind of like how not, we don't do it like that today. And we're, you know, about maybe 10 to 15 years into not really doing that kind of stuff anymore. Like, so I'm a little more conditioned to not have super culturally like offensive stuff in there. And that was, you know, what I saw in the past was some real cringeworthy shows. Oh yeah.
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah. There's, I, 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 during, uh, doing some, uh, doing some research for this, I watched a, a, uh, uh, Monday night raw promo with the rock, um, talking to Jonathan coachman, like to open up the show and boy, the rock says some extraordinarily like, you know trying to be offensive but like stuff that like is like now you would not call someone a hermaphro- hermaphrodite like now right, you right. Wouldn't, you wouldn't talk about someone needing to take the tampon out like no way you would no way that like that kind of stuff would would fly out of um so roman reigns is like the you know the wwe you know singular superstar now no way roman reigns would call someone a hermaphrodite no chance
2: no not a chance not a fucking chance yeah there's a there are just certain words that like you hear it and you're just like, yeah, no, that's not flying. And that is definitely one of them.
0: Yep. Um, Chama, I got to tell you, I am so pleased that we are still in our, in the year of our Lord, 2022, we are still destroying the announcer's table every single, every (laughs) single, um, every single night. And in in this case, at least in one of the SmackDowns, it was at least three different times the announcer's table got trashed. And I am I'm glad so it was always originally the Spanish announce table that would get trashed. But I'm I'm glad we've moved on to to sort of making it let's not just let's not just obliterate the Spanish people. Let's go ahead and get the main let's go ahead and get the main announce table and destroy that one too. I'm glad we're still doing it. It's still a fun part of it. I still love that part.
2: Yeah, you know, there are still there are these things that they've been doing for years that still land really, really well. Like whether it's destroying the announcer's table or the uh, the cocky agent manager character that getting involved in the fights and even being, you know, next to the stars like these things still play really, really well. And they're exciting and, you know, compelling to watch.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. there's, There's nothing like the announcers calling calling out someone as they get thrown into them.
2: You know right. what I mean? Like it's it's right. pretty
0: funny every single time.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely.
0: How about how about something that like you really kind of something that you're down on or something that just doesn't rub you the something that rubs you the wrong way with current WWE?
2: Okay, so this is a really specific incident, and it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it was a major like sucking your own dick example. And during the first twenty minutes of these of the SmackDown that we watched from last week they were really hyping up the fact that the Logan Paul Roman Reigns video got 45 million views across all social media platforms. That's how they phrased it across all social media platforms. And I just, it kind of reeked of like unnecessary desperation and unnecessary dick sucking on behalf of the WWE, because like you guys are already popular you're already a juggernaut you're in a sold out indianapolis field house and everything i mean the place is like absolutely packed you have strong capable athletic performers and everything and for them to like feel the need to hype up the fact that one of their own videos got so many views on social media it just seemed a little, like, immature, even for pro wrestling. It's like, you guys Mm -hmm. don't have to do that, you know? And also, like, the video that you're choosing to hype up features, like, Logan Paul in it. So there was just... I felt it was definitely like unnecessary for them to do it, and it just irked me a little bit because you never hear the NFL or the NBA or baseball or hockey, their announcers saying like, "Oh my god, can you believe that video?" of Odell Beckham Jr. catching the ball and got a hundred million views on. It? You just don't you just don't hear it.
0: Yeah, I like I I one hundred percent. I actually wrote this down, um, and it wasn't just the the Logan Paul thing, um, <clears throat> but I actually wrote this down that like I think. This is a broader symptom of where our entertainment's going. I I saw a clip of um, God damn it! It's one of the Marvel sh- Miss Marvel. Um, mm-hmm. I saw a clip of Miss Marvel, and there's like a whole section. There's a whole po- like a, this clip had like a whole thing where like everyone's on TikTok talking about Miss Marvel about the about the superhero. And yeah, I think this is just the where entertainment is going that we have to fucking mention clicks, views, YouTube views, social media views on every goddamn platform. Now I, I like, I get it. They exist. Can we not mention them offhand? And I, right. and I kind of get why the WWE would do it, but I, think, but I, I am more, I, I understand the practicality of doing it, but I am in more in your camp that like, I just don't think you have to like, that, that to me feels like it's – that's like a, an in-between, like you're going to commercial break. Show mm-hmm. the video and then just put the graphic up that it has 45 million views from uh, – I forgot what – what was the – Crown Jewel. A, the Crown Jewel. Crown Jewel,
2: jewel. jewel in Saudi Arabia, yeah. yeah.
0: Just go – by the way, I wonder how much Saudi Arabia paid for that.
2: Probably uh, a fuck ton. <laughs> probably as much as our government secrets, yeah, but yep. maybe even more.
0: <laughs> so, like, yeah, so that to me felt like that's just one of those things. Show the clip, which is actually – it was actually pretty fucking cool. Like – like the like the whole clip is actually pretty fucking cool But like just all you, that's just like as you're going to commercial break show the clip show a little graphic It's got 45 million views since you know, like the the week prior or whatever We don't need to talk about it anymore. You're right
2: Yeah, definitely like you guys are a multi-billion dollar industry Like we don't need to talk about like you don't need to sound like me when my uh, Stupid Godzilla smoking the joint video got retweeted by run the jewels. You don't need to sound <laughs> <Right>. like that
0: <laughs> Right, exactly Um, congratulations on that, by the way.
2: Oh, Um, thank you so much.
0: (laughs) No, but like, and and I will say this just real quickly, since I don't have anything about the Paul brothers. Um, but I will give, I will give them both credit for, for definitely making the complete transition away from their previous personas that like, like I I, I don't like them, but I actually could, there's a, there's a, there's a world in my head where Logan Paul is actually a very accomplished wrestler. Because I feel like he definitely can like sell it. He's very athletic and in shape. He can definitely sell it. Um, and, and he's got, you know, like with him and his brother doing the boxing stuff previously, there's like a background there. Like you, you already have like sort of a, a persona that you can put in place. So yeah. I'll give them credit. I still, I'll never like them, but I'll give them credit for sort of advancing beyond being YouTube assholes.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, d- d- definitely. Yeah. I am not a fan. But like, at least they're doing something other than being on YouTube. You know, it may not be much, but at least it's something else that I can look at and be like, yeah, Jake Paul is fighting. Logan Paul went on WWE. They're doing something else other than being those annoying as shit Internet personalities and stuff like that. And like now that Jake Paul is a little bit more flashy in his representation of Cleveland it's like he's wearing, you know, like the, the robe with all the different logos and the colors yeah. and stuff. It's, it's like, I'm not as embarrassed to say that they're from Cleveland where I'm from, but like, I, I don't necessarily like saying that I'm <laughs> yeah. from the same place as them.
0: Yeah, exactly. There I'm, I, I'm, I'm more apt to, to hype up machine gun Kelly than the Paul brothers, but,
2: but they're still sort of in the same place where I'm like,
0: yeah, I, I they're from Cleveland. That's fine. Just, you know, don't, Don't be weird. Don't be too.
2: Yeah. right. Machine Gun Kelly, when he doesn't dress like a pirate or something from the 1800s, that's a guy. He's from the same town I am. Hell, we're both Polish, you know, but when I see some of his concert attire, I'm just like, "Eh, I'm from Northfield. It's like a little bit outside the city.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So here's, here is something that we mentioned before. So I won't get, this won't be a long thing. I am kind of disappointed that they don't take bigger swings with some of their personas. Like mm-hmm. I think, I think the most outlandish thing that we saw was, I'm, oh, let me, let me do a quick double check here to make sure I don't have it down somewhere else. Cause it's possible. Uh, no, I don't. One of the, I think like the most outlandish thing that we saw was Shotzi with like her tank entrance. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Which was, I thought it was pretty funny and I'm just, but like that, that was like the biggest sort of swing in terms of like a, a kind of outlandish persona, I think the Viking raiders or invaders, whatever they were called, that that's a little bit out there. Um, but Bray Wyatt, you know, being an insane person is a little, but like there's always like an insane person, in, Right. In, you know every 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 few decades there's someone who's like the insane person. But I but like the the personas are definitely um, the edges have definitely been rounded off them quite a bit.
2: Yeah, you know, I noticed that too. There was there wasn't any of that big ass outlandish kind of stuff. Like it almost seemed like that would the big ass outlandish kind of things would be more something for the older WWF. But um, to watch the two episodes and – yeah, I mean the, the tank thing might be the most like outland. Maybe the Miz opening up gifts during the, the Monday Night Raw I saw, but yeah. the tank was definitely the most like outlandish spectacle, um, prop wise or anything throughout the entire between both of the episodes I watched.
0: And and that would have been pretty standard for a for a Monday Night Raw or a SmackDown, you know, twenty years ago, something like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly, definitely.
0: So, as you look at the WWE, how how for you has it evolved in the entertainment space? And like, what do you think that kind of means for it?
2: Okay. So like I, it's still, it's big. It's only gotten bigger since we were younger and stuff, but like, I don't feel that it's gotten like super big. And I think the crazy thing is I, I don't really know like where else pro wrestling can go. I, but I also don't feel that it's reached a like, um, like an endpoint, you know what I'm saying? I, I, somewhere out there, they do have more to offer, but I just don't necessarily know what that is. One thing that I, I did like, one specific thing that I had noticed, um, more present about the uh, WWE today than when I was younger was, um, there's definitely more personalities like Lesnar and Rousey that were like known for something else that and then came into the WWE mm-hmm. yeah,
1: for and
2: sure. it's, and, and then there's also like the, the opposite of that where like you have people like John Cena as the rock and the rock that started the WWE and, and grow into major megastars and other right. entertainment mediums. So it's, it's at this really like interesting part and interesting kind of like impasse and everything, because I do feel that um, like something that is kind of cool for the future would maybe to have these guys like the the Paul brothers in the WWE because it's people trying to transition into something else. And and some of these people will be successful, but some of them won't. But the fact that there is this place that you could go to kind of rebrand yourself and emerge successful in another kind of – um, and another kind of, uh, sport or piece of entertainment, I think is really unique and something that I don't think we were seeing that much of when we were younger.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I I completely agree. I, I, you're right. I I don't think it's, it's still growing. I I would kind of, I would kind of liken it to a tree in that Mm -hmm. trees, you know, they're obviously, they grow upwards, but they grow upwards slowly. But what you're, what you're not seeing is how the root system is growing out much faster and right. extending itself into all sorts of places. And the WWE is kind of like that. It's like the root system that it, it's, it's not like it's ex, it's not like it's grown taller. It's, but it's grown out more. It's put its, it's put its fingers into more stuff. It is so it like it transitions so seamlessly into social media. It is pulling in people like the Paul brothers. It is pulling in Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. It's, pulling in fucking Donald Trump. Um it, like it it is sort of growing in ways that you just aren't expecting and pulling on people I'm pulling on uh pulling different strings that you're just not seeing necessarily. So it, it is sort of like it's growth, it's just not the kind of growth that you're it's just not like a straight line ahead, you know. You know, it's not like it's not like the the Smackdown ratings or the Raw ratings are like outpacing um you know like uh, I don't know what's even on on Monday nights but let's just pretend the office is still on for this argument's sake. It's not like one of those shows is outpacing the office. Right. Right. But Mm -hmm. what about like all the online, you know, the social media impressions? What about um, the YouTube that you Like the stuff that they obviously they're going to mention on air, like it is growing exponentially there in ways that are just a little bit more, a little bit more low key as opposed to like the, the traditional way we're thinking about something growing.
2: Yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. And like, when you see these kind of um, clips and things like that on social media, I mean, they're getting that attention because it's usually like a shorter clip and it's somebody doing something really fucking cool. So like, you know, like, uh, like the Logan Paul um, jumping video and everything like that. Now, granted it already came from established social media personality, but that is like a cool video. So like people um, who may not be fans of wrestling and watch it all the time, may still watch that video because it's just 15, 20 seconds of a cool move and stuff like that, you know, and then you just kind of scroll along to the next thing. So, but it's still getting your impression and it's still getting your view. So, you know, the fact that you don't have to devote that much time to it and still see something cool is going to, you know, thus translate into a a much higher um, online presence and everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's um, if anything was made for, for social media, and for TikTok, it's freaking wrestling. Like, like you can go through and just, like, get, like, oh, man, here, you gotta check out this, uh, you gotta check out this move from Braun Strowman. And it's 15 seconds of, you know, Braun Strowman picking up and power slamming someone or something. And that's it. Like, wrestling mm-hmm. is almost, like, made for this.
2: Right, exactly. And you can, you can watch easily a highlight of a match in 20 seconds instead of, Watching a long match. Some of these matches did run a little long, especially yeah. on SmackDown. But like, you know, if you're just in it for the the cool, awesome moves, you've gotten your fix for the day, and you don't have to watch a full match and everything. Right.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So real quickly here, just a, a little, a couple, a little listicle kind of deal. How about a a second Golden Age star? So someone from like the you know the '80s through like the through to through, through the early 2000s that would thrive in today's WWE. Well,
2: the pride of Columbus, Ohio, Macho Man Randy Savage, there all the go. way, dude. I don't know what else. I don't know if that guy would not be able to thrive in any decade of wrestling. I, he, in the '40s, he'd probably be a god. Probably the cream of the crop. Um, <laughs> Step into it
0: <laughs> for sure. Macho Man was so fucking good. He would he would one hundred percent be a great personality right now. Absolutely agree with you. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with one of my ECW guys. I'm gonna go with Rob Van Dam. Um, he nice. did kind of wrestle, he was even wrestling about like 10 years ago, but like at that, at that point he was definitely like well beyond his his prime um, in, the, in the ECW. Um, but like he's a very good athlete, he's not a small guy, like he's about 6'1", 220 pounds or so. So he's, you know, he's good athlete, he's got the size, he's got that kind of fun, um, he's a heel persona, but like kind of like in the same way that um, Seth Rollins is like a heel, kind of like a chaotic heel that people like anyway. Um, and he's got such that he's got that RVD, that easy crowd chant that like, just it's, it's immediate. Like if, if you're feeling him, you're going to be, everyone in the crowd is going to be chanting RVD, right? Yeah. It's an easy fucking thing for the audience to do. And like you, it's one of those things when, when a wrestler is getting that kind of heat and like wins the audience over, that's when it's like, oh, good character, good match, good, whatever. Rob Van Dam would be great in today's WWE.
2: Yeah, 100%. I'm just like looking at some different photos of this this is just like a guy that um, would would be adored and loved by a modern day WWE crowd for sure.
0: How about uh, a a character, persona, whatever, that would not fly today?
2: Okay, so this guy named Tony Atlas Saba Simba, he was actually like a pro bodybuilder, three-time Mr. USA and in and out of various wrestling leagues since the 70s, but he joined the WWF in 1990, which is a rejoin because he was in it before, and he took on this African figure persona that looked like part tribal leader and Witch Doctor Yeah, that's not happening today. It's just (laughs) totally fucking not. Like, the costuming alone wouldn't even make it um, three steps down the aisle before you had a Twitter uprising of immense proportions. Yep,
0: yep, um, definitely not. I think, by the way, I think Tony Atlas
2: was
0: was he not The Rock's dad's tag team partner?
2: Uh, I can look that up really quick. I go for it. That sounds like something familiar to me, but um, I will check that just to confirm.
0: Yeah, there's that sort of that sort of stuff but just like the, when you're really going hard into certain ethnic minorities, that kind of stuff now is just, yeah, it's, it's icky. That's at best. It's icky. And at worst, it's extremely offensive. Yeah,
2: he was in 1983. He teamed up with Rocky Johnson as the yeah. soul patrol to defeat the wild Got Samoans it. in the tag team championship. You bet soul patrol.
0: Fantastic. <laughs>
2: Becoming the company's first black champions of all things back oh, no in shit. the the eighties too. Yeah, definitely. No, shit.
0: Um, yeah so you're you're right there and and then'll I'll add to it um, in the attitude era there was the Godfather and his ho train um, oh. <laughs>
2: do you remember him uh, I'm I' think so i'm looking it up now just to get so, a
0: con- godfather was a pimp character and he just came out with like five skanks essentially
2: oh yeah chris right yep yeah uh, yeah i saw yep i saw a couple yep i know exactly what you mean yep he, definitely yeah, he's had
0: some other offensive personas too actually um in his time mm-hmm. but um because i think he was papa shango before then but i, I could be wrong um but yeah it, it like the open and blatant objectification of he William was that way, papa he shango
2: was, comment yes. yep you bet yeah
0: um. There's no way that's happening
2: at all. Uh. No. The fact Ho Train might never be spoken on TV ever again, and we said it's not in a movie or whatever. That's from the '90s. But yeah, Ho Train is definitely something we're not. Uh, we're not going to be riding the Ho Train anytime soon. Exactly.
0: All right. How about uh, a pre-2000 song that would work as an entrance for a current wrestler? And you know, obviously, who's that wrestler?
2: Okay, so I saw this really cool um, video from Bray Wyatt where like it was all dark in the arena. The audiences were holding up their phone. He Mm -hmm. wore this mask. He was carrying a lantern and stuff. The entire time I'm watching it, I'm just like Sweet Dreams by Marilyn Manson would work perfect with this um, with this particular um, setting and everything like that. And knowing that Bray Wyatt is a little on the uh, crazier side and definitely playing the psychopath persona um Marilyn Manson seems like a pretty good guy to uh as far as association wise um musically to um you know run hand in hand yes. with
0: I yeah that'd be that's actually a really good choice obviously Marilyn Manson's not a good guy in any way shape or form no, not um, a chance. <laughs> but but yeah like that that actually I would I would actually love to sync that up because that probably work would work really well um I, I went with um I went with a little bit earlier than that I went with uh a melvin song uh honey bucket off of nice can't remember the album that it comes off of but um from 1993 and this would be perfect for braun Strowman, the monster of all monsters uh there's like a it's like a solid about minute and a half of just like some heavy guitar heavy music and Mm -hmm. it crescendos it crescendos almost i like i synced them up like window to window started the song started braun Strowman's, uh you know general entrance and it syncs up really well to, like, the music picks up to him coming out and then nice. him, like, flexing and stuff. I'm just kind of like, oh, this is almost too good to be true. Like,
1: <laughs> right.
0: get, get, Mel- get, who, you know, get Melvin's on the phone and be like, hey, I'll give you $12 if I can use this song every single time I come out.
2: And I guarantee you they would probably uh, take probably. that money because the Melvins haven't done much in a while. And yeah, this is um, from the Houdini album, which is yes. the uh, there's a two headed dog on yep. the cover, which is kind of like a, a famous, a more famous album cover from this particular group.
0: Yep. For sure. For sure. Yeah. they Melvins, though, still tour amazingly.
2: Yeah, I, I believe it. They're, with all these um, nostalgia tours and everything like that, they're probably having the best years of their lives right now.
0: Probably. Alright, let's get into it though. We we did watch Monday Night Raw and Friday Night SmackDown. I actually I think I watched ended up watching more than you, but not a big deal. So just real quickly, what was your kind of general setup for the, for watching the show? Like how did you how did you settle in to watch it?
2: Okay, so it was um just like in my in my house on the on the T V and stuff, and I was doing um, I was taking notes throughout the uh, the, the presentation. So I watched uh, SmackDown on the Fox sports app, mm-hmm. which gave me 90 minutes of time. I don't really, it didn't end with like a, a solid ending. Like it kind of ended in the middle of a rumble and just kind of faded out. There yeah. wasn't any closing credits mm-hmm. and um, W W E raw was watched on Peacock and the most, up to date episode they had was the season premiere. So this aired back like on October 10th, which was uh, Columbus day, which was a uh, Monday. So yeah. Oh, okay, so the, yeah. So both on streaming surfaces in my house taking notes.
0: Yeah. I, I, so I had like, a, I was sitting at my, I had like other work to do and notes to take. So I was sitting at my desk with kind of like a multi window, you know, setup, and it, it, it actually, I, I, I actually did watch, um, the first time I watched SmackDown was on, also on the Fox Sports app. And it was really convenient because you can just pause it. And like, right. I, like, I can I can minimize the window, move it around. It was actually really convenient. But it was it did kind of feel like work a little bit, but whatever, not that big of a deal. Um, but it, it does, this is one of those things that like, as I was sitting there watching it, and maybe you had like a, a similar you know moment, it's just like, boy, I would rather be I'd rather be sitting either at the bar or like at a friend's house with a couple of beers doing this right now.
2: Yeah, it was, it's definitely something that I think alcohol would help out in terms of uh, enjoyment and everything like that. Just because like, you know, a couple of drinks in you're going to get, you're going to get loud when there's a big slam and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. You know, I, I, I feel that um, some substances would definitely alter the experience in a good way as most substances tend to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would smoke a bunch of crack first and yeah. then you get
2: fucking amped for this
0: um oh no you're right and though. then you,
2: your, your heart will explode after that first celebration i guarantee it <laughs> exactly it's... exactly
0: but no you're right like this is one of those things this is definitely like i don't I, there's a lot of things like when i watch especially if i'm watching the first of something like i don't want to like be intoxicated like if right like first first episode house of the dragon stone cold sober like i don't yeah I want to take in as much as I can, but like wrestling, this is definitely like an alcohol friendly. Hey, you know, while, while there's like, while they're just grappling in the ring there real quick, go ahead and make yourself another drink real quick. No big deal.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up about House of Dragons because I used to have a couple of beers while watching Game of Thrones because I knew I was always going to watch it again. And I went into every single episode on that Stone Cold Sober. Just a lot to take in.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, So just your your general feelings about the experience. Like what was it like kind of revisiting wrestling in this way?
2: So it was like, it was kind of like a big nostalgia bomb to a certain degree. Like, you know, it had been at a minimum five years since I had sat down and watched any of the WWE, like mm-hmm. official programming and stuff. But it it's amazing how like it's, it was familiar, but yet different, like at the yeah. same time in a lot of good ways.
0: Yeah, exactly. I had the same sort of thought that it was, I definitely had a lot more fun than I was kind of, not that I was expecting to have a bad time, but I literally at a couple points was kind of like found myself like anticipate like knowing how how the matches work how they ebb and flow kind of like oh shit we're gonna get it we're gonna get a big move right here i I was actually kind of getting into it and while there was that familiar familiarity there was a lot of stuff that i just was not like kind of prepped for and i was just sort of Mm -hmm. like i I have some we'll we'll get into some stuff i have some notes here i was just sort of like man this is like this is more to keep up with this is definitely more complex than when we were watching as kids that's for sure yeah like oh yeah in terms of the Allegiances, the the groups, the squads, whatever. Who's with who? Who's who's fighting who? And a, a lot of that also has to do with the fact that we kind of dipped in at like a kind of an inopportune time. Like we were right around um, we're at the t- we're at the tail end of storylines going into a into a um, a pay per view, and then like I watched the first ones coming out. So there's kind of like storylines that I'm not familiar with that are being wrapped up, basically. But yeah, but nonetheless, it was. All the stuff that I remember—the cheesiness, but like the fun of it—I it was all there. Like it's still the experience hasn't changed a, a ton, but there are new additions to that experience for sure.
2: Yeah, of course, man. I totally get what you're saying on that. Definitely. So,
0: what what were the the notable differences between you know this recent viewing and the last time that you that you watched wrestling?
2: Okay, so the last time I watched it, it was a it was a Royal Rumble. So I don't remember a lot of like storylines in motion you're basically looking at the opening cards and then the big rumble which just was like an all-out fucking festival for like you know 30 minutes 45 minutes just people going to town on each other so i um I noticed there were a lot more storylines than I remember. And mm-hmm. they were, a lot of things were developed the same way in either those um, interludes, like the different interviews and stuff like that. Um, yeah. the, the same way we also with like people coming into the ring and maybe making a speech and calling out people. But I noticed that there were a lot more storylines. And since I watched an episode from October, that was like kind of leading into the crown jewel. And then I watched um, the episode that would have been right after the crown jewel. Mm -hmm. Um, I I got to kind of see some of these storylines like develop and everything. And I guess what would be a key difference is um, which I I don't remember them doing stuff like this. But in the October Monday Night Raw, there was this sequence where like Miz was opening up various presents because it was his birthday. And um, it Mm -hmm. eventually led into a a little bit of a match with this guy named uh, Loomis, Dexter Loomis. Dexter
0: Loomis, yeah, yeah,
2: Dexter Loomis, Um, and which is another kind of storyline that they've been developing. So I I got to, um, I got to like basically, I just got to see a lot more storylines. So it was cool to kind of see some of these get set up, and it was cool to kind of catch some of these in the middle. And in a, I think I maybe only watched one resolution storyline, which would have been the, the tag team match between the Usos and the New Day. Mm-hmm. But I had gotten the chance to experience some of the developments of the storylines, like what they're doing with the Miz and Loomis and stuff. And you could kind of see where this birthday celebration would have fallen into the middle, because as soon as this birthday thing was over, he had a conversation with um, the uh, with the with Generation X. And um, they were talking about, hey, you should just fight this guy and get this shit over with. And he's like, oh, maybe I will. You know, so I saw one kind of chapter end with a cliffhanger into another chapter of the storyline.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I'll, I'll give I'll give you some insight into the the Miz stuff too, which because I saw I saw back to back episodes that were, um, I'll, I'll I won't spoil it now, but they were extraordinarily Cleveland centric. Um, yeah, so, they were yeah but um yeah so like you're 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 definitely right like at least by my count um the two monday night raws which are three well probably two and a half hours after like commercials and some other stuff taken out um but you know 3 hours on on you know on a regular monday night and i believe i counted 8 matches in both when that used to be 10 which doesn't seem like a lot but that means there's literally like 15 more minutes 16 to 20 more minutes for talking and just doing whatever else so it it, there definitely is more story building and crafting than there was previously in in uh in monday night at least in monday night raw i i kind of remember smackdown being lighter on on matches and a little bit more talky but um but certainly monday night raw has definitely moved has definitely cut out a few of the matches especially because they're just a lot of them are just filler anyway go ahead and spend a little bit more time in the storylines that makes more sense
2: yeah, you're right. Um, there were eight matches in that Raw f- um, from that Monday. And then there were also, there were only, geez, like if you include this last kind of brawl from SmackDown, there were only six matches, including this brawl that they faded right. out on. Right. So, it's, like, there, there it's were.
0: only there, like a 90, when you take out commercials and stuff, it's like 90 to 100 minutes long. So, it's just it's yeah. a little shorter w- anyway.
2: Yeah. So like there were, and they had a pretty fair share of um, storylines in development too, which were also pretty interesting the way they, the way you could kind of pick up on something had happened in a previous episode to now they're sort of kind of like addressing it, but you didn't get any of the resolution, you know, or you didn't even really get so much as pointed in a direction the the way you did with Ms. where you're like, okay, Ms. is getting to a fight. They've talked to the fight about the fight with the, the SmackDown storylines. It was um, the main storyline being the, the Rousey, the Ronda Rousey um, yep. match in the, the women's wrestling and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But you didn't really get a lot of, this is where this is going with the guys. It looks like they're kind of still planting some seeds from the, the SmackDown I saw last Friday.
0: Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Cause there is a pay-per-view next weekend. Uh, okay or, or when this air or <clears throat> excuse me when, when we put this up it'll be that weekend there is another pay-per-view so it, they're kind of close together but this you know just because of like the way the calendar fell but um yeah but yeah there's yeah this is one of those um because I, I i don't think because I, I don't think I, I they try to i know they try to avoid certain weekends and i'm gonna go ahead and guess like that was there's probably a governmental reason that crown jewel had to take place in november and not october i'm just gonna make mm-hmm. a guess
2: That that sounds about right. Yeah, Yeah. something like that. There's got to be some reason as to why it happened. Then definitely. Yeah.
0: But um. Yeah. So, so we'll get. I I actually do have something on storyline stuff too, as I mentioned. But like, I also don't remember. I don't remember two things. I don't remember matches being this long before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There were a couple of them that were super fucking long, and so so much so that we had multiple commercials in between them. I, right i do remember i do remember that like they like if on some of the longer matches they'd go to commercial and like and if you were and if you were lucky enough to like if you if you were one of the people who went to a monday night raw or smackdown or back when they had like saturday shotgun or whatever it was called um like you got to see entire matches that tv didn't mm-hmm. see you got to see like like that brawl that finished out smackdown with um the the bloodline and what looks to be i don't know the the uk everyone from the uk fighting um the bloodline yeah the
2: brawling bruce celtic warrior yeah <laughs> yeah
0: yeah um like they like that that fight that like we got cut out on was for sure concluded uh, like for the people in the audience yeah like that probably went on for another 20 minutes more than likely um so like that, that that's always happened i just don't remember i literally do not remember a match having two, being long enough to have two commercial breaks in it like that's that was new to me
2: yeah, the uh, Usos versus the New Day. That match went through. That had one commercial break in. That basically occupied. There was a it was 30 like thirty minutes a, almost. Yeah, it was. It went a while. Like, cause you had the start of it, commercial break. Then you had another section that was all in the match, and then you had a commercial break. Then, and then they um, ended the fight after what would be the second commercial break, and then you had like. Uh, an interlude and maybe some recap footage and stuff like they, they almost put together like a highlight reel of the, the match you were just watching before it would then go into the third commercial. So that was, right. a lo- that was the longest one out of any of the matches between the two episodes that I watched.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And usually the tag team matches are longer. Just, it kind of makes sense. You have double yeah. people. <laughs> so, R- right. <laughs> right. So they're just going to be longer anyway, but I'll tell you what, like, this is something that like, I really, really walked away with like, how impressive it is that they can they can fight each other for that fucking long and still yeah. pull off all of these like I like specifically talking about like the, the Usos in the New Day, that was impressive on a number of levels that it went as long as it did, and even in the end, they're still able to execute some of the moves they did. It was super impressive.
2: Yeah, I mean when you dude like when you think about like boxing and stuff, like you know, those guys Like they're fighting and everything, but there's a lot of like just kind of dancing around in certain boxing rounds and everything. And then you go take a break, kind of do it all over again. These guys were high flying for that entire half an hour time. And even any downtime that they had, which was all that recovery time. So you're kind of just like, you know, shaking off an injury to get ready to perform whatever's going to hurt you next. And and like, yeah, I'm not going to lie. You're definitely right on that.
0: It, It was it was pretty nuts. It was pretty nuts. So what about the... So just between um, Raw and SmackDown, the two biggest differences that you saw between those two, between the shows themselves.
2: Okay, so Raw was a little bit more raw compared to the two of them. Um, In the... In the Raw episode, there were actually bleeped out curse words, and a lot yeah. of it came from the Generation X in the beginning. SmackDown, there were no bleeped out curse words the entire broadcast. Um, I also noticed that um, there were some footage that they showed in Raw that I don't necessarily think would have made it into SmackDown. There was this um, this Judgment Day uh, group was um, involved in some kind of like match in the previous weeks, and... Yeah one of the girls slammed a chair onto this guy edge's wife and this guy edge's wife was laying on the ground. She had her head, um, on top of a chair. Like it was already like kind of being supported by a chair. And then you had this uh, Ria, Ria from judgment night, just slamming another chair into this woman's head. And I was like, wow, okay. So like, It was that raw. I think was definitely the more like violent of the two shows.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It is. I mean, it is for a long time. It's been the showcase show, like the Mm -hmm. showcase cable show. So, like, you definitely get you definitely get more action and more of that kind of stuff in it. For one, and like even like that, definitely still tracks today. Like some of the biggest moments between like when when uh, Stone Cold and The Rock had their feud. In the late '90s, early 2000s, um, obviously the pay-per-views, pay-per-views were the biggest one, but all the all the mo- most important moments happened on SmackDown, hundred percent.
2: Yeah, definitely me, happened on Raw, Raw,
0: not on SmackDown.
2: Yeah, gotcha. Uh,
0: like that, and this or this sort of goes to what you're talking about is that SmackDown, when it started off, it was like the junior level show, um, and it definitely still is, and Raw is. 100 percent it that's the c-suite production that's Mm -hmm. that is where we're and like and literally if you're you are signed it's the same company but like your contract if you fight on smackdown is just for smackdown unless like there's unless there's like there's needed crossover or something so like you are signed to like one night to perform basically so if you're signed to smackdown you're probably an up and you know maybe hopefully you're an up-and-comer i guess or you're someone who they just don't feel like has whether it's the character, the moves, the sh- like whatever the whatever the package is, they don't feel like that you can like pull your weight on the more important show. It's definitely triple A to triple to, A to major leagues. Yeah, you
2: know, so this is my other one. Okay. I had this too. Like Raw was infinitely the better product of the two, and I'm not saying SmackDown was a bad product, yeah. but Raw was definitely a better product, and. Um, while there wasn't a, what I would consider to be a ton of star power on Raw, there was at there was three undeniably recognizable famous faces. Um, in between Triple H, The Miz, and then Roman Reigns came out. Um, you know, doing his uh, stuff in the beginning and yeah. then kind of just being a, a figure in throughout the course of the show. SmackDown didn't have any like Roman Reigns was by far and away the most popular the most recognizable face like out of the entire production and i mean we might have seen like you know 10 or 15 different um wrestling personas in that episode of smackdown but like you could clearly tell that a lot of the the money and everything was was sunk more into raw and i mean even if you're looking at the quality of matches like there were matches in Raw that didn't even get a two count. Some guy just literally like fucking right in there, one, two, three, and then it's done. Yeah. Whereas SmackDown, they were using two counts to like, you know, I think maybe artificially sell success and stuff. I mean, oh, yeah. some of these, some of these two counts, like you can, you could like li- just look at it and be like, okay, like this guy, legitimately got out of this one some of them looked a little bit like too showy and especially once you get to like two count number three it's just like okay something they're clearly pushing this a little bit you know whereas raw did not have any of that stuff i, I there were matches like i you maybe got minimal multiple one to two counts like i i probably would say out of the eight matches that i saw maybe like probably seven of them had Two two counts, and that's it. There weren't a lot of drawing it on for fuck's sake. Like this was like letting people go to town and like win a match without that kind of artificial drama.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's um, yeah, it's just you're right. It's not that SmackDown is bad. It's just that there is a there are higher higher level of the wrestlers, better storylines, better product, everything about it is just like turned up a couple notches, one hundred percent. Um, and, that's, and actually that's something that I, uh, if this is something else that kind of goes to that, that like the, because of the, of the, like where the shows rank, you have the WWE champion, um, Seth Rollins, uh, you know, or assuming the U.S. champion, wait, U.S. champion, um, opening up Monday Night Raw versus mm-hmm. the biggest belt up for grabs in SmackDown, which is still, it's not a bad belt, but like it's Gunther's inter- uh, Intercontinental Championship belt. Was like right. the SmackDown. That was like the that was like the high-profile belt. There is, you know, when it comes to Seth Rollins, there is only one other person holding a belt higher than him, and it's Roman Reigns. And that's yeah, that's sort of like the the sort of the stuff that was at stake. Other than obviously the, um, you know, the, on SmackDown we had the Usos in the New Day with the tag team belts, which is you could put that right up there with like the U.S. Championship belt. Um, but like that's rare that you get that um, on a, on a on a SmackDown. More more often than not, it's gonna be your intercontinental championship, your women's championship. Um, back when they had like an extreme championship, that's generally what's gonna happen on Smackdown. Definitely mm-hmm. not gonna you're never gonna see you're never gonna see the US champion um get defeated in the and the belt change hands on Smackdown. Never gonna happen.
2: Yeah, like the the biggest match that I saw would have been the tag team one. And that's because the Usos were going for like the a tenure of like the longest. They were both like running really long as far as tag teams yes, and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah. that was a big one. And, and like, go figure, you're going to have that one first as a way to start off with a bang. Correct, thing. correct.
0: And it was, it was a great starter, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, that was a really good match. I enjoyed that match a lot.
0: Uh, so let's get into some of the specifics then here real quickly um, to, to close this stuff out. So what was your favorite entrance from Raw?
2: Okay, I absolutely loved uh, Brock Lesnar's surprise entrance that he made in the episode that I saw. It was easily the loudest, most showy entrance out of any of the wrestlers that had made an appearance that night. And I don't even think Brock was technically on the card because he fought... uh, Bobby Lashy for like a little Bit and then the Seth Rollins thing took yeah. Over so like the, the Brock Lesnar drop In was pretty badass
0: very nice Very nice Brock Lesnar is always uh, the Brock Lesnar is one of those people to my Understanding that's kind of a polarizing WWE superstar but I guess they kind Of should be if they you know It, it, it right. kind of makes sense to be polarizing But like for sure He's a superstar because he's Like he always makes a good entrance like there's Always mm-hmm. a good uh, Lesnar Entrance and god he, he looks like a he's like a square like he's physically just it's awesome when he comes out and he's like doing his his stuff
2: he's got the long hair going on and everything like that it was it's kind of like a you know it's a different brock lesnar than what we've seen for For a a lot of our lives for sure
0: um so i in my raw bobby lashley was made a bounce back as well and um i just i love this was more more of a traditional entrance right his his titan tron um i i love that it's it's one of those entrances that just kind of it feels very goldberg-esque where like the the music the the graphics on the titantron everything just fits what bobby lashley looks like and kind of his persona like it's a mm-hmm. really nice com- like that is like a complete package like a really well thought out package whereas someone like um did you see like the the nikki cross fight on in your on smackdown
2: I don't think I did. Let me check. I, I'm not that name does not ring a bell, so I don't on, think she, I got she, she, that. You one. might
0: have you might have missed that one. Um, but let me let me do a double check as well. Um, or maybe maybe she popped up a Monday Night Raw. It doesn't really matter. Point being, um, Nikki Cross is such like a she's like she's like the like the current. I don't know her persona is like this is kind of a crazy person persona, and like the music is weird. Her entrance is like really weird and staggered. I mean, I guess that's like kind of the point, but like, not like the part, none of the parts fit and all of the parts fit for Bobby Lashley, all of them fit together. It's a great entrance.
2: Yeah, definitely. I remember that. I thought that was really fucking awesome. And uh, it kind of sucked that he had to had that encounter with Lesnar because it just, you know, just kind of weakening him for his main fight with um Seth Rollins and everything. Yeah.
0: It, well, he made up for, it. he beat the crap out of everyone in the, in the mm-hmm. raw that I watched.
2: <laughs> like <laughs> literally
0: everyone, it was pretty awesome actually. Nice. Uh how about the uh, SmackDown entrance?
2: Okay, SmackDown was the Viking Invaders. They did a really sweet one where um you just heard the phrase like Valhalla and then the titantron went red. The lights went out and then when the lights came back on the um they're out of the Viking Invaders, there's three guys and one um one girl. Yeah. The the girl was standing by the titantron and then when the lights went on all of the guy Viking invaders were already in the ring causing chaos.
0: Yeah. That was, that was very solid. I love the chicks. Um, face paint too.
2: Oh it was, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. good. Yeah. That half, like uh, top half being all black and stuff. Yeah. Very, very sweet.
0: Yeah. That was, that was an excellent entrance. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go back to my man, Braun Strowman here, uh, for his SmackDown entrance where, um, MVP kind of called him out and had a five on one match. And like mm-hmm. his music plays, and he just goes running through all five of the jobbers, knocks them all down, runs into the ring, and then gives MVP three running power slams, and calls it a day. <laughs> I it's one of those things. I love I love the the super huge guys when they mm-hmm. just do stuff like that. They come in, it's like all business, and then like they wrap up whatever whatever they're doing in like five minutes and call it a night. Call
2: it a night. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, those are the kind of matches people want to see. You bet. Just something really short, easy, and get in and get out. Yep. Yeah.
0: I love they didn't even give, because they're not, like, I'm sure they're not signed wrestlers whatsoever. Um, they didn't even bother to give them names. They are just like, yeah. here are five guys, and he just runs through all of them. Fantastic.
2: Yeah, that's pretty dope. Uh,
0: how about uh, How about your favorite match on Raw?
2: This would have been Omas versus Joey Ace and Chico. Mm. Omas being a monster, monster 400 man, pound, man. seven foot guy, just outright. Assassinating these two fucking dudes. I, he must have won this match in less than five minutes. I mean, he was throwing these fucking guys around. They stood no chance whatsoever. And I look at a dude like Omas and I'm like, they still make you. You know, like, <laughs> right. you,
1: you,
2: you still come fresh off the assembly line. Like, my God, what a fucking specimen of humanity.
1: Uh,
0: an absolute unit, seven foot three, 400 plus pounds. He went to the same high school as Kevin Durant.
2: No shit. Yeah, he's from Mont- the D.C. Mont- area. Holy he's shit. He's from
0: Nigeria, but then like moved to um, came over to America and, and went to, was like Rockville, Maryland, or something like that. Yeah, Mont- Montrose. Montrose Christian, I think.
2: Wow, that is fucking insane. Like I, uh, I, I just very interesting fact over here. There must be something about that school that just loves breeding very well, tall. It's, it,
0: it's it's like um it's like a it's very similar to what is it Glen Oak,
2: the where oh. like
0: um, Carmelo went and okay oh, Academy, O'Kill Academy. O'Kill Academy. Yeah. yeah same idea
2: okay it's like a, a school that's a high school but you're really there for sports like yeah. IMG Academy or the Ginn Academy or something yeah. like that exactly. yeah gotcha yeah
0: um God, good choice though Omas is awesome um I, I loved I loved um, there's actually there was a there was actually a Bobby Lashley match in the one I watched it was Mustafa Ali and Lash Bobby Lashley very clear that um, Mustafa Ali's kind of Someone that they're putting, I don't want to say like a a genuine up-and comer, but someone that I think they want to test to kind of see like how he because he's very athletic, really jumps around really well for a pretty for a fairly big guy, and like he performed really, really well with Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley's he's Bobby Lashley's like in his late 40s. He's an older guy. Um so like he's you know definitely the vet that they wanted to pair him up with. And these two put on a fucking show. There was there were a couple of points in times where Lashley sends Ali flying and like the, like it was one of those very cinematic, like sort of like spills basically. And mm-hmm. like, you know, it, Mustafa Ali took the beating that Lashley was going to give him really well. It was one of those matches. You're just kind of like, okay, like, yeah, I kind of want to see more of this Mustafa Ali character for sure. It was a really good
2: match. Very, very nice. Yeah. That one was not, Lash, Lashley fought um Rollins in the one I watched. So I didn't get a chance to see that play. Right,
0: right, right. Um, how about your S- S- SmackDown one? I think we're in agreement here for the best match in the SmackDown.
2: I had the, the tag team match. he's going to use those in the new yeah. day by far and away. That was fantastic.
0: It, that was that was really awesome. I loved. I made the note here somewhere um, real quickly. Let me try to find it. Nope, that's incorrect. I just I know I had like real big hell of a fight to start things off. Um, oh, is Kofi Kingston? Um, there was a he went off the top rope and landed. Full weight, both feet on Jey Uso's chest for, like, a chest stomp. And, like, it sent him kind of, like, flying over. Like, I was just, I was amazed that Jey Uso just took the weight of him. I mean, like, you can see it. He's taking the weight completely on his chest. I just can't believe that he, like... I, I can't believe that he's not like, I don't know, doesn't have like cracked ribs or something out of it.
2: <laughs> There's a lot of things that I'm surprised those people did not like walked away somewhat in one piece from, you know, yeah. like, because we're getting to the age where like um, I move my body wrong and it cost me a day of back pain, you know, exactly. but those guys like, uh, you know, beat to the chest and you're still getting up and performing. It's, it's just, it's, that's it like nuts. superhuman shit. So yeah. Nuts. <laughs>
0: uh, how about, uh, was there like a, 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 your favorite sequence in, in Raw?
2: Okay, like when you say sequence, what do you mean by that specifically? I just so, want I'll, to make sure I got I'll give, the right. I'll give that. you one real
0: quickly here. So, um, in the in the Matt Riddle, the one I watched, it was Matt Riddle and Chad Gable were fighting, and you can tell these two these, these two both have Matt Riddle was like a longtime MMA fighter. Chad Gable is like a like an accomplished like college wrestler. So like you had two like really good technicians going at him. and there's a sequence where um, Riddle Riddle breaks out of like a footlock flips Chad Gable flips Chad Gable over, jumps on him, gives us a flying triangle, like leg lock. Gable picks him up from the ground and then like goes right into a DDT. All of like a you know, probably like about ninety seconds. Like mm-hmm. from one move to the next move to the next move. Which and like the moves were not it it wasn't like a rolling suplex where you can kinda of just keep keep him going. It was like one complex move to the next to the next. And they did it really, really well.
2: Gotcha. Okay. I totally misinterpreted this as something else. And I thought the sequences were like the little footage that they would show in between the matches and stuff like that. So I totally got this one way wrong and stuff like that. Just a complete, just a complete misunderstanding on, on my part and everything like that. If they're, if they're, which one did you say you you were talking about SmackDown right then and there?
0: That was raw. It was Matt Riddle. That was raw. Okay. And Chad Gable. Yeah.
2: Okay, if I was to give one for Raw, it would be during this um, birthday presents kind of thing with the Miz and stuff like that. And this Derek Loomis thing um, was—it starts off with Derek Loomis, like his head is Dexter Loomis. That's right, Dexter Loomis. Um, It starts off with his head in like a uh, a present and stuff like that. Like you know, he's basically like his body is underneath the table, but there's a hole cut out of the table, and like the thing evolved from um, the Miz, like with a baseball bat. Beating the shit out of these fucking presents, and then all of a sudden, like Derek Loomis is behind him. He gets into a little bit of a scuffle with the Miz, and then he th- th- dunks like the Miz's wife into like a cake and stuff, which only <laughs> escalates the, the fight a little bit more. And then, kind of by the time that the Miz is ready to like reassess, like Loomis is already gone.
0: Mm, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, I, I saw. I'm, I'm seeing like at least in the in the Raws that I watch. I'm seeing like the end result of this Dexter Loomis-Miz um, uh, issue, and it, it draws in another Cleveland person, too.
2: Okay, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting.
0: Which, which I promise I'm going to get to. It's pretty funny. Um, so, sequence from SmackDown, this was like the first one I watched. It was from November 4th, and it was a long-timer. Rey Mysterio was fighting Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship, and there's just this sequence where Mysterio, is <clears throat> Mysterio and Gunther are sort of countering each other, like Mysterio's a, you know, he's a luchador, so he's like a high flyer, and he's trying to like, he, he makes like one jump onto Gunther, he's like a very big guy, he's, he's, you know, about 6'5", 250 or so, and Gunther sort of catches him, and then it becomes Gunther trying to body slam him, Mysterio countering that and trying to like maneuver around him, and basically it's a solid 20 seconds or so of Rey Mysterio literally climbing on this guy, and this and this guy, Gunther, holding him up. The entire time Mm -hmm. and it's really just it's one of those impressive things you're like jesus christ imagine having you know mysterio is not huge but imagine having someone who weighs about 160 pounds climb all over your body and you have to stand there and hold them how hard that would be
2: yeah that sounds really difficult even just listening to you talk about it
0: (laughs) It, like it was it was very it was very technical it was one of those things you're just like oh yeah that's right these guys are really strong (laughs) like really strong
2: yeah it's it's crazy just like the strength that some of these fucking people have like there's no way in hell that i'd ever be able to do that in the best day of my life
0: right right so uh do you have one do you have a one for
2: this yeah it would be like during the the six-pack showdown and smackdown like Mm -hmm. there was just there were so many high-flying moves everything all going together at once and it's like as soon as you saw one body slam one hair pull anything like that you were immediately on to like something else so just non nonstop entertainment mm-hmm. all around during that six-pack match it
0: was it was a very solid I, I think some of those can get a little bit too scrambly that one was that one was pretty good like it, it, it there wasn't too much going on basically
2: yeah no i understand what you are by 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 scrambling and stuff like that it definitely and this one i i was able to maintain focus like pretty easily and stuff like that throughout yeah. the whole thing definitely
1: yeah.
0: um did you have a favorite finisher from raw
2: favorite finisher from Rob was Rey Mysterio's jump over the rope into a body slam onto Chad Gable that ended up in all in one motion into the pen.
0: Nice. Very, yeah, dude, Mysterio. There's a reason why he's like, like there's a reason why the WWE does not like, well, they'll never get rid of him. Cause he's a really good wrestler. Like he's just like a great technical
2: wrestler. Yeah. Like this guy was a lot of moves, a lot of high flying, high energy stuff and everything like that. And I mean, it was like honestly, like watching like a the, like a superhero movie or something like that. Just yeah. the guy had so much in his repertoire to use. yeah, he's
0: awesome. i've I, I'm a long time mysterio fan. He's awesome. Um, i'm gonna give I'm gonna give this one to one of the ladies here, uh, uh e o Sky, um her over the moon salt uh, into a pin on Dana Brooke. And I, again, like i I was just very impressed with how how athletic, especially for someone who's uh, pretty small, How athletic and strong Eosky was to sort of go toe to toe with Dana Brooke, and how easily she can, how easily she maneuvers on the ropes. Obviously, she's a little bit smaller, but like it just like she looks, she looks very at ease doing all the all the jumping stuff. She looks really great doing all that stuff. So I'll give it to Eosky.
2: Very nice, very nice. I don't. She was not in any of the two that I watched.
0: Probably not. She's yeah, no. I, I don't. No, that's that's correct. Yeah, she wouldn't have been on any of them.
2: Um, how about uh, SmackDown? So the SmackDown finisher was um, Santos Escobar's like Phantom Driver, is what he called it. It's a um, so he's on the ropes and he's in like kind of like almost like a fireman's carry, like the the, the body is um, like laid across his back, like you would like a bar with a squat bar and stuff, and then he jumps off of the ropes and into a into like all one motion kind of body slam and stuff like that, and that. Um, was that was his finisher that won that match
0: yes he's got a he's got a really excellent finisher um I guess pretty much I, I, by and large I liked all the finishers but that's a really good choice excellent yeah choice. like
2: there were some good fin- there were definitely some good finishers in there um and, and even just like, even when it comes to not even just the finisher, but there were just awesome moves like throughout a lot of these um, different matches and stuff like that. Whether it's the the Usos doing their like double high flying over the ropes body slam, like there were just some really cool acrobatic stuff being performed. Yeah,
0: oh for sure. Uh, I'm gonna go one more time. I'm gonna go back to my man Braun Strowman, who it's it's sort of like he's one of the he's one of the guys that has like a finisher sequence, and it's like that freight train. Where like he kind of you know he pumps up the crowd and then goes like running around to like clothesline, and I think he was, oh he's fighting Jinder Mahal, so he does like the pump up, you know goes and just trucks Jinder Mahal, and then into his it's more it's mostly how easy he makes this monster he calls it a monster bomb just a just an overhead mm-hmm. like a double overhead like a two handed <clears throat> high power bomb, but it's like amazing how easy he made it look that, like, Jinder Mahal, not a small person whatsoever. And he very easily got him up above his head and very easily spiked him like a football. It was it was pretty unbelievable. I mean, Braun Strowman is, is like, an, it, you know, I don't know if he still does, but he was, like, a longtime strongman. So, like, mm-hmm. he has the, the strength to do that to another human being. It was pretty
2: impressive. Oh, dude. Like, anytime you see stuff like that, it is just like those incredible feats of strength are always going to be intriguing and stuff like that. As we were talking about bringing back the strongman competitions and stuff, anybody time does something that is well beyond the realm of like human strength. it's always going to get intrigued for sure. Uh, how
1: about
0: a, how about a speech? From
2: you? So the best speech was um, the one I saw was the Miz with the bat and the Jose Ramirez yeah. um, in the room full of Yankees fan. And he makes the whole thing about, Hey, you know what it's like to have a great player and not do anything. Just ask Kevin Durant. Like th- that was easily the best piece of writing that I saw out of any of the matches. That was just awesome and everything like that. You know, like i I saw him open up the the bat that was given to him um by his by his wife and everything like that. So I saw him open it up. and it's like, okay, so he's just got this bat. I'm sure he's gonna go out and do you know like mm. non-threatening bat stuff. But no, like there, that came from the Jose that led to the Jose Ramirez um speech, which I had actually saw online. Like not that much longer after um, after the the visit made the speech because I believe the Guardians were still they were still playing at that Probably, point in time yeah. so so I thought that was really cool and just him him being from uh, the the Cleveland area and stuff like it's just always cool to see Cleveland getting a shout out in some capacity. And the fact that he focused on Jose Ramirez, the guardians, you know, you, the guardians, no, no ulterior names or anything like that. I thought that was a really great moment.
0: Love it. Yeah. It's, I'll tell you what, the Miz is a, he's still a very good technical wrestler, but man, he's, he's, he can still sell like he can still get up there and get heat from the crowd. Like he's still such a good showman. Um, guarantee you one day, whenever he's done with the wrestling stuff, he's gonna take up that role that like Jerry King Lawler had as the mm-hmm. as the you know one of the ringside announcers. Guarantee
2: it. Oh yeah, this this guy like I remember him being on MTV and stuff, and like this was his like life goal. He's not going anywhere. He'll you know, be involved in the WWE until until he is old and retiring in Florida.
0: Yep, exactly. Um, so I I had to go I had to go with Seth Rollins on Raw on Raw here. And it's not that like he is you know breaking new ground with like his insults or anything like that, but it's just like v- he is very adept at getting the crowd going. And like it was, it was, it's one of those, it's one of those openers for, especially for like your showcase show of like Raw. You you want someone that is right away going to get the energy up, and Seth Rollins does a really good job of just getting the energy up.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this guy definitely an energy in the bottle. You got mm-hmm. that. You totally got that from him all the way.
0: Uh, Smackdown, best uh, best okay. speech or state out speech.
2: Okay, so I had never seen Roman Reigns give a speech before, and I loved it. just this one little part of his speech where he comes out, he says the city's name, and he says, "Acknowledge me, fucking badass!" Yeah, like that is really bad. Like I don't know if I could put two words together and have it be more badass sounding than that. That was fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, he's
0: he's. It's taken him a while to get to where he is, but like, he's definitely, he's definitely like a worthwhile, um, WWE superstar, like for sure. Like he, he's good. He knows how to do it. Like he's, I, I, he had like a, he had like a different persona when he first came in and it was like one of those sort of, like he wasn't leaning into the Samoan heritage. He's actually Rock's cousin. That's um, right. He is
2: related to him. I knew yeah. it. That's right. I knew it. That's um, right.
0: But like he, like I, I'm pretty sure when he first came in, he wasn't leaning into the Samoan stuff and like the Hawaiian stuff. Like, and now he is. And now, like it took him a while, but he's kind of found, like, finally found like what his thing is. Um, and it, it is being sort of a rock level kind of heel. Like he's he's mm-hmm. figured it out finally.
2: Did he always have the tattoo sleeve? Because that thing looks fucking badass.
0: That's you know what I I I, I don't remember. Like, cause he had a period there where he was also like not wrestling. He had cancer like a few, several years ago. So there was like a period there where he wasn't wrestling at all. So like, I, the, you know what I mean? Like he was sort of like out of, mm-hmm. so like, unless you were real into, and as we've discussed, we were not into wrestling at this point in time, his, like, he kind of like disappeared off the radar because he was okay. sick, obviously. So I'm not, Yeah, there's like this period where I have zero accounting for Roman Reigns like, at all.
2: Okay. Gotcha. The reason I ask is because it did look like one of these tattoos that maybe got started when he didn't have all that much money. And now that he is famous, the tattoo got finished. It's just a lot of artwork on yeah. that body and stuff. It's, so it's, yeah, it, But
0: it's awesome. It is a very solid yeah, tattoo. You
2: you couldn't do that in a weekend. Like that's like nope. a long evolution tattoo.
0: That's, that's many, many sessions sessions getting that, that bad boy done for sure. I, I wanted to highlight here. This is sort of like, I don't know, I guess like not like a hate but like, I wanted to highlight LA Knight on SmackDown because he had two speeches over both of the ones that I watched, and he's one of the heels that falls really flat for me because for two main reasons, he's he doesn't have any real skills, like he's not it, it, it's he's not like he's um, I'm trying to think of like a super skill. Well, he's not like The Rock who can like do a bunch of things, right? Like he doesn't feel like he's a natural at anything on the on the you know in in the ring. And then, like, there's nothing notable about him other than like, "Hey, I'm a bad guy."
1: Like, there's (laughs) yeah.
0: He doesn't have like, he's not like wearing a mask. He doesn't have like a. His persona is asshole, and I'm just Mm -hmm. sort of like, whatever. There's like fucking ten of you. I I, whatever you know. Give me something a little bit different if you're going to be a heel. But his is just very flat.
2: Yeah, this guy um, was one of the maybe like one of the very few people that I watched, and I was like. This is like almost like de evolution in the league, where like this guy in the 70s probably would have been a mega star, you know, just the whole like kind of hillbilly, even though it's called LA Knight for some reason. I look at him and I just see backwoods for some reason. Um, So there is just something about it where this guy's persona seemed a little too outdated for the current WWE. Yeah. You know, like he he really didn't look like he brought anything to the table. I didn't get a chance to actually see him fight. And even in terms of um, his kind of acting in these interludes, the, the speeches that he gives, it's just, I, I don't know, man. There's something about it where I'm just like, I'm I'm seeing something from like 30 years ago. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not really seeing like a current WWE star.
0: Exactly. He did feel like a kind of like a little bit of a time capsule I saw him fight, in um, the one that I watched, I saw him fight Ricochet, who's, like, v- super athletic. Like, this guy is, mm-hmm. like, and the whole match was, like, Ricochet doing, like, flips over him and stuff. And, like, jumping off the top rope and all this other stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck is LA Knight doing besides just, like, running around underneath him? Right. <laughs> it's just, I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird persona. I, I, and I guess that's why he's, like, buried midway into SmackDown. You know? They just yeah. know it's not
2: working. Yeah, there, there's no, there's nothing new. There's nothing creative. There's not even, I, there's nothing fresh there, you know? And there's not even like, you notice how like there are certain things out there in the world that maybe aren't an, anything particularly special, but they just have so much charisma or so much personality. You just can't help but get behind them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like this is something that I saw. I just, I, I basically just saw something that we've seen a thousand times over. And for the life of me, I couldn't tell you about anything about this guy that was special.
0: Yep, nope, nothing at all. All right, so the interlude moment here, I, I want to leave this one off since so uh since you, you've mentioned the Miz multiple times. So the the two um uh, Monday Night Raws that I saw had the the evolution of this um of this Miz and Dexter Loomis issue, and it dragged in another Clevelander, Johnny Gargano,
2: who Yeah, you're right, okay. yeah, he played he wrestled in the the RAW that I saw and stuff. They okay. mentioned he was from. Cleveland. I'm assuming he was a Saint Edwards guy. It just sounds like something that. <laughs> um,
0: I can't remember exactly.
2: I know I know CM Punk was and everything. Yes. So it was just a natural assumption. I hear Saint Edwards and all that. I yeah, I think
0: I think he is from Lakewood. So that would, it would like. I'll I'll look it up right yeah. now
2: because I'm I'm particularly intrigued by that. So
0: Johnny Gargano comes in and like there's this like this they're having this dispute about Dexter Loomis. Apparently like they ms paid dexter loomis for something or whatever like that's the part that i missed but it was just like i in my head i'm just like i'm like oh so this is this sounds just to me and maybe it sounded like this to you at all maybe a little bit to me this sounded like every argument i've ever heard in the muni lot between two fucking drunk clevelanders and like they both sound like clevelanders they have their like it's just this i don't know what it is it's this this tone of voice that i can't fucking i i I just hear and i'm like oh so this person's from cleveland clearly Um, and so this was like so i started calling this the muni lot dispute and like Mm -hmm. it literally even the insults were like muni lot insults where like one guy is like one guy's like in the the one that i saw the um miz was yelling about like his dad and johnny gargano is just like yeah i like your dad he's a good guy your dad's a good guy but you're a piece of shit and i'm like Yep, that's a lot dispute. It's like two friends that know each other's fathers, they're complimenting each other's fathers, but they hate each other. Like, two drunk idiots in the lot going at it.
2: Yeah, this is, that sounds about fucking right. Yeah, definitely right there. Oh, my God. And, like, I, I just kind of can... While I didn't see this one specifically, I, just, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, yes, he did go to St. Edward's and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, it's like... It's just... You might as well hear Lakewood and wrestling and immediately think St. Ed's and I, I, stuff. But, right,
0: good assumption. <laughs>
2: Um, yeah but,
0: yeah so they they had their interlude and it was just one of those things uh, i was just like oh man this is so fucking cleveland
2: i opened this article on johnny gargano oh, and for okay, some okay. reason a lot lottery, lottery commercial started playing WGO. um
0: so like and i'm i'm fairly certain that johnny gargano also would on occasion lift at the at my, the gym i used to go to that he um because he looks beyond wwf he looks super familiar and um like because there were a couple of guys that were in nxt um, at that point in time and Gargano would have been in NXT as well, as well as like 10 years ago. Um, Gargano would have been in NXT as well at that point in time. And I'm fairly certain, probably like twice a month I'd see him at my gym working out with like these dudes.
2: Interesting. God, yeah, that's it's it's crazy to think just like, you know, at some point in time, you just saw these people like Kurt Angle was in the gym. Johnny Gargano yeah. was in the gym and stuff, you know, like Anderson Cooper went to the Tremont Athletic Club. Like one of the one day that I went, but I went like four hours after of he course. was there. So I, so I haven't seen that, you know. All right. How about uh, how about your raw interlude moment? Okay, so I really loved the fact that the Miz got to speak with the the older members of Degeneration X. um, And this is where they floated the idea of um, fighting Loomis. And I like this was the out of the three appearances that the non Triple H Degeneration X members made in this episode, this would have been the second one. And like it was just it was kind of cool to see this banter back and forth the, the episode opened with Triple H and the Degeneration X guys. So it was cool to kind of have them come back into the episode, have this conversation with The Miz that would, would thus set up another like um, another fight later on. And um, and I liked it. And then the, the guys, the Degeneration X guys came out in the end and we got to see all the hand gestures and all that kind of stuff as they mm-hmm. round up the crowd.
0: Of course, of course. Love it anytime. DX comes on, absolutely. I again, I, I really need a moment to do the to do the, the X symbol at someone, thrust my crotch at them. <laughs> I don't I don't have enough of those opportunities in the course of my day.
2: <laughs> I know we need more of those.
0: Um, so oh, uh, give me your give me your uh, your SmackDown one too, since you're still rolling
2: here. Okay, so uh, Shotzi Blackheart, after she won her um, match and everything, she had a confrontation with Shayna they ba- Basler um, this was after the six pack match. And um, yep. in this uh, round of actually showed up and it was just one of these like, you know, um, Shotzi and Shayna are talking and then the camera just like turns to the left It's like oh where did Ronda Rousey come from oh my god I didn't hear your, um, your in shape ass sneaking up on me like this <laughs> and then um, Baszler had put Shotzi into a like a sleeper hold, yeah. and there was a little bit of like some selling for their upcoming for the next fight which um, Shotzi will be fighting I think she's got to fight Baszler first and then go to Ronda um, somewhere in there yeah. but Ronda is been one of the people she will be fighting next in a championship Ship
0: yep. Yep. Correct. Um, would not. I. Ronda Rousey's still hot to me. Like.
2: Oh I, yeah um, that, Would let definitely. her one hundred percent break my arm. Yeah, one hundred fucking percent on
0: that. <laughs> um. So in SmackDown, there was this interlude with uh, Gunther and the Imperium, and I just, I just wrote down in my notes that, that like, while I wrote down in my notes that while I'm glad um, that we're not treading in like these racial stereotypes anymore. I am glad that we are still pointing out that Austro-Germans are kind of uptight people. Like... Because <laughs> they are. <laughs> so yeah. it's fine.
2: Yeah, I'm telling you, it's it's amazing for all the... Uh all the sexual freedoms and all this stuff in Europe. And that, that is still like a really up, stereotypical uptight persona. It's, mm. it's kind of amazing that they haven't really evolved past that.
0: It's fine. They keep it going, keep it going. It, it's, mm. there has to be like, there has to be like that one sort of country, that one sort of people that you can make fun of for being like, like, God, like this Canadians are too polite. Um, right. The British, those they're, they're too drunk all the time. The Germans, man, they're just too, I don't know. They're too stiff. Like that's, that's what they are. And by extension, Austria too. you people a little bit, a little bit too stiff.
2: Yeah, definitely. I can agree with that one.
0: All right. So out of all this, did any, um, did any wrestlers or I I guess maybe not even wrestlers, anyone associated with the WWE get, uh,
2: get earn you a social media or earn a social media follow follow from you. This would be the Miz. Like, I think it's a bias. Somebody who hails from Cleveland is about time (laughs) like that. I finally put forth the effort into, uh, following this person and um you know i I gotta say for out of all the locals clevelanders that are known on a national scale the Miz doesn't really get a lot of hate which is cool he seems to stay relatively controversy free i mean Mm -hmm. there could be something I, i might be mistaken on that but um the one thing that i did love about him is uh there was this like dumpy Mr. Hero that my roommate and I used to go to after like getting loaded at Browns games and stuff. Like mm-hmm. it was right, it was kind of like right around the corner from us, about like a less than a half a mile away. And it was like one of those Mr. Heroes where like there's um there's no place to sit down on the inside. It's just like a bulletproof proof glass counter, and you get your oh, food yeah, through a sliding ones. door and stuff. Yeah. Oh god, it was amazing. <laughs> and uh, the one thing that they had on the walls was just all this Ms. memorabilia. You're talking like newspaper clippings from when he first started out, even local paper news clippings. And this was like presented really, really well in the place. It wasn't just like a couple articles stuck on the wall with tape. They had this nice little like homage to the Miz and everything. So it's about, it's about time. I don't follow Machine Gun Kelly. So I I maybe should at least follow the Miz. I I completely agree. That's a good follow. Um,
0: Yeah. I'm actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm kind of surprised I'm not following the Miz already. So I might have to add him to the list there. Uh, he's a, he's a great personality, so that that's necessary. Follow. I did end up following, I did end up following Omas and Braun Strowman because nice. I, like Braun Strowman also has like some of his strongman stuff in there and just some of his exercise stuff. It's insane. Like it's it is insane watching this dude just like lift people and lift things. He's so fucking big, it's ridiculous.
2: Yeah, I, fucking big ass dudes, man. I'm telling you, the shit that they can do.
0: Uh, and bonus follow. I so in one of those um, in you mentioned the Shotzi, um, Shayna, Shayna Baszler um, uh, interlude there interview, and uh, they're interviewed by uh, Megan Morant, and I'm watching and I'm like she's kind of quirky looking. I bet she's hot, and I was right, 100 percent um, right. And I was like, oh, that's a social media follow. She she reminds me kind of she kind of reminds me of Judy Greer. Is who she reminds me of.
2: Yeah, I got you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally understand what you're saying there, definitely. And I, it's funny to me to think that um, there's – I even I saw this like online rumblings of like whether Judy Greer is hot or not. And I'm like, how is this even a question? (laughs) How do you fucking people need to ask this stuff? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like it's it's Judy Greer. If there's anybody else like an actress, actor in Hollywood that you could 100 percent get behind is her all the way. Yes. There's like nothing. There's nothing to not like. Ridiculous. (laughs) Ridiculous. All
0: right. uh, Anything we missed? I know this is a very expansive episode. Anything we missed?
2: Uh, the, yeah, actually, one quick question here: Have you had the Broken Skull IPA? I believe it's available in Ohio.
0: I have not actually. No.
2: Okay. They, there's this El Segundo Brewing Company. It's like the literally the the town that's like directly south of us, probably like a two to three minute drive away. They make something called Steve Austin's Broken Skull IPA. It's um it's a lighter IPA. I don't even think it's it may be just over five percent or under five percent in gotcha. alcohol fan it's it's fan it's you know typical ipa stuff but um he really gets behind it i mean they have pictures of him inside the brewery and all this other kind of like stone i don't know why stone cold of all things for them to focus on i don't really know the connection between stone cold and el segundo brewing company but they decided to pick him he's gotten behind it and um it's something that is available in Ohio. I saw it when I was in town the last time for the holidays. But I, I went to like um, this place called Tremont Foods, which is on West 14th, right across from where I used to live, and they have one of the best like local beer selections as far as Cleveland bodegas go. So it it took it, it wasn't like in Giant Eagle, but it was in Cleveland.
0: I'll yeah, I, I'm just I just looked up to see some articles. It says it's here. Um I know there's a um I know there's an I know there's an app I can use to find certain beers and, and liquors and stuff. I will I'm, I'm, I'm going to look it up because for sure this
1: is something I have to like
2: 100%. Yeah. I'm telling you, just a really cool thing, an awesome like little product for him to attach his name on too. You know, nothing and not like the greatest beer in the world, but it's it's definitely worth a try and it's cool that he signed off on it and is yeah. a big supporter of it. Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, oh uh, so we had the Miz Johnny Gargano Dana Brooke and I I feel like I'm missing two other Clevelanders that I watched or just one. No, just one other Dolph Ziggler was also in one of the, one of the SmackDowns, I think. So like it was a (laughs) really heavily, like it was a really heavily Cleveland show.
2: Yeah. Some, I guess in some way, shape or form, like I'm not surprised about that. Like Northeast Ohio, just prime, W- like there's just so many fucking WWE fans. It only makes sense that you know people from the Buckeye State would would make that uh, tr- would make that you know step to the next level and everything. And CM Punk I think was like a state champion and stuff like that. So I mean it's a uh, you know there are definitely WWE figures coming out of Ohio for sure.
0: I I think it a, a big part of it is between St. Ed's At the high school level of wrestling and Ziggler went to Kent State, which is a really good um collegiate wrestling program so like yeah it just sort of kind of makes sense that they're all like here you know what i mean like at the very least there's like there's technically proficient wrestlers coming out of this area
2: yeah it's they're almost just like hey you guys you know you just spent that uh, four years doing wrestling you know you're not going to make much money out of it unless you want to coach or something how do you want to do something that where you can make money doing wrestling yeah and people probably line up out the door for that
0: yeah exactly exactly all right so that uh that does it man i think we're about done here um normally we would just kind of like say thanks and and uh you know tell you thanks for listening uh give you the give you our social media deets and stuff but like you know what i want to end this a little bit differently i'm going to tell everyone out there why you should go out and listen to the occasionalist podcast you know what real quickly Chema, name another podcast people might listen to God,
2: this man, that's a lot. Um... It
0: doesn't matter what those other podcasts are, Chema. We'll stomp a mud hole in their asses and podcast it dry. Because we're the occasionalists. We're the stylin', profilin', nine-to-five grindin', economy-class flyin', flyin' soundbite-stealin', wheelin', dealin', to guns. Those other shows are short-sighted 500-pound piles of steaming, stinking, grade-A monkey crap. Those other podcasts are mosquitoes, trying to suck the blood out of the occasionalist, cause we're red hot, baby. And you know why we're every listener's dream and every podcaster's nightmare? Because we don't just talk about one thing. No, no, we cover sports. We cover movies, music, politics, beer, news, more beer, pop culture, more beer. We'll say whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. And Occasionalist316 says, we just whipped your ass.